This is Space Cats Peace Turtles, the unofficial podcast for Fantasy Flight's Twilight Imperium. Episode 70, hey, I get it, these episodes are not for everybody, but listen, we're packing it all into like one episode. So there you go, uh, tournament updates, uh, number two. Music by Ben Prunty, featuring Matt Martins and Hunter Donaldson. When you do this bit, and you do this often, it only creates more work for me, because I have to go in and re-edit the file so that the music goes long. Yeah, just ne- yeah. I just need you to know that about this curse that you're putting on me. Yeah, I know, and, it, and it's, it's, you know what it is, is that when we first started doing the show, you would put in little flourishes like that all the time, and so now I just yeah. like try and force now you, you gotta to find have to a do flourish. them. Like, do you yeah. remember that time that I made a joke about Skrillex, and then at the very end, like, you put a little Easter egg? That's, like, my like, favorite bit of the whole show. Yeah, that's that's That great. probably almost nobody listened to, because everyone yeah. turns the podcast off when we fade out or whatever, right, or, like, right. during the rundown. It's like, yeah, okay, I'm done. <laughs> I don't care about Twitter. Yeah. Uh, we already did extra, extra. Did we just start about... the episode? No, we, we did It feels like we just started the episode. You're kidding. No. We just are we're already here in the episode. No, this is the pre-talk. That's really impressive. Oh, my God. We didn't. Okay, so let's do it. Um, we've got a lot of games to talk about today. Boy, howdy. Um, Six, to we be have, exact. We really, you know, we, we took the prelims really slow at first, but we've really ratcheted up right. the... Uh, the pace and what's what i feel like we have something kind of exciting to announce as far as yeah. how much longer the prelims will be a right. thing it's uh next week is the end of the prelims yeah if, if all scheduling goes to plan which <laughs> yeah, so far it is so far let's it go is. ahead like, and curse ourselves but no, yeah uh, there's as of time of recording there's only two open slots left and i'm pretty confident that they'll get filled um and we'll have five games this coming weekend oh oh dear oh, 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 oh dear um, uh, but yeah, we just needed to burn through these prelims because otherwise we were going to be doing this until June um, and that wasn't going to stand. Yeah. So the plan kind of going forward is this week we, we just got to catch you up on these games. Um, I know these episodes, some, some people aren't like a fan of the catch ups, but we're trying to get better at how we do them. So the, the goal with each of these, you know, overviews of the episodes is to try to give you the idea of how the game was won. Um, so it shouldn't just be like, a, oh, this happened and then this happened. But like, what can we gain? Why, why are we doing this tournament in the first place? What can, what knowledge can we gain about the game right. uh, by by kind of digging deep into these? Right, because if you want all the nitty gritty details, that's why we're putting them up on YouTube. Exactly. So we're going to Go try and it. wrap these games like tight nuggets yes. of wisdom uh, and just like kind of just what was the spiritual takeaway? Right. Not necessarily an in-depth breakdown of a very specific Every thing that happened. Or, right. um, that was, you know, just for us. Um, I want to ask you something. We'll throw a little audible at the beginning. I just wanted to pick your brain a little bit um, here at the top before we get into the specific games that we're going to talk about today. Um, mm-hmm. Matt, is there any, um, like, how are you feeling about moderating at this point? Because it's been, there's been so much evolution of it as right. we've been going. We're 13 games in. Okay, well... It's not Space Cats Peace Turtles unless we're messing it up all the time and, real- and realizing right. that Making this mistakes. is the way we should do it. Yeah, and that's how yeah, we do it. That's how we roll, okay? So to to 
to get into this, I kind of want to say like what the what the game plan for like a bunch of future episodes is because I think this is digging into that a bit, which is like next week episode we will have finished the prelims. So next week yeah. we're going to cover a lot of stuff about like the overview of the prelims. Not game to game, but like let's talk about just like everything about the prelims. It'll we'll have we'll be essentially done with this map, right? Ooh, the prelims yeah, yeah, map, yeah. slice of the Gashly, Darien slice, all this stuff we're we're putting that to rest next week. So we have to talk about those things. We need to talk about how those things played out for us. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're also, just to tease it, next week we're going to talk about the semis map. Yeah. I'm excited for that. Yeah, I'm that's really going to be great. to reveal that's... the semis map. But, so some stuff I want to save talking about too, like tournament-wide things. Sure. When the tournament is all said and done, we will do a big conversation about just like, what's it like to run a tournament? But I do want to, so yeah, I just want to yeah. get all that out of there to say why this answer is going to be so short. <laughs> right. Uh, moderating is really tricky business. Uh, it's really hard to know what your place is as a moderator. Um, especially there was actually a couple different conversations that have broken out in the, on the tabletop simulator discord. So not ours, but the other, uh, TI Discord. There's a rule channel that is just like the worst place in the universe where uh-huh, Munchkins uh-huh. and people go to argue with each other about things that shouldn't even be brought up. Um, and it's fun to kind of lurk there because sometimes you get good information, right? That pe- these people are finding um, things that are like wiggle room in the rules, uh, and sometimes it's annoying, and sometimes it's like, oh shoot, I don't know what I would, what how I would rule it in that situation. And as mm-hmm. and as us being moderators, I'm trying to pay more attention to that stuff to know which way things are supposed to be ruled. Um, but in some instances, there's just not like a good answer and you kind of have to, I'm, I'm understanding how professional sports refs feel when people are just like, bad call, bad call by the ref. Right. No good. I hate that. It's like, yep, that's, I'm going to do that. I'm going to be, I'm sometimes I'm going to make bad calls and I'm starting to just learn to own that. Um, that, that's how I, that's like the main thing I feel about moderating at this point is like just being okay with a call that doesn't feel right. But is like, I have to say something right now. Cause I can't sit here and wait, like look up a ruling for the next 15 minutes. Right. And yeah, there was a point in the tournament game or the, the, the tournament arc where yeah. I felt like that was our response was like, right. Oh, well, okay. Everybody stop doing what you're doing, uh, for 15, 20 minutes. But a lot of the times it was, you know, us finding a space like that where, like, it's actually just not clear and it's not really right. like there's anything to find. There's um, not a rule, so we have to just decide a rule. We just have to be like, nope, this is the way it is now. Right. And hopefully it's that way for the rest of the tournament. But if we find a ruling later or whatever, we will change it. Um, and sometimes, like, I don't know, the, the timing of why we're making the ruling can matter. I'm not saying the circumstances of the game, but I'm saying some rulings are in essence the same ruling, but they're not the exact same interaction and you have to think about them differently. Yeah. Um, So it's just been, it's been really weird to be a moderator because, and I've seen this argument that there was a recent board game geek thread that was talking about uh, what, what do I do if someone like forgets to fire their PDS? Am I obligated to tell them, Hey, you should fire your PDS. And there was a lot of responses that were like, you are an absolute jerk. If you don't point out to your opponent that they can fire their PDS at you, it is so rude. And I felt really weird about that because as a moderator, I've been actively trying to avoid like specifically saying like, hey, extra, you do have a PDS in range. Are you going to fire it? That's not my job. Right. That's the player's jobs. And if one player sees it, but like really doesn't need to get his stuff fired at and the other player is going to forget like that's 
people make mistakes in this game. That's a huge part of why people win and lose. Yeah, I honestly, I it makes me want to try and put together the the moderating Bible for exactly. TI uh, yeah. of just taking everything and being like, he, these are things that may happen, meaning that I am not required to um, alert you in any way about right. it, and I won't. Um, and like, I think PDS is a good example, although I don't know for sure that PDS is a may, it is a step. Um, it's, but you yeah, do not I mean, have to fire PDS. That's, 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 that's the, that is a may. Right. Yeah. Um, so, so because it's, you don't have to, I feel like I'm playing for you a little bit if I'm bringing it up on your exactly. behalf, because exactly. you As could a, strategically choose to just not shoot and right. you're not even going to bring it up. You're just like, I'm right. not shooting. This is a unique situation that i think you and i have been in as moderators and anybody else blark knob uh people who are moderating the austin tournaments stuff like that you know david s nor is going to run into these issues of like it's not my job to tell you how to play right in in a normal game if i was one of your opponents maybe it is my job to like try to be a fair player especially i mean the argument argument always comes up for if you're playing against new players obviously you should tell new players about things but in a tournament setting and in a setting where all the players are equally experienced like you gotta you got to be a little bit, I don't know. Yeah. Stricter. I, I, here's something that I did not expect that, that I should have anticipated is that it gets, so moderating um, a game of TI, sure. Moderating a game of TTS where mm-hmm. maybe somebody's not familiar with how TTS works that well. Technical difficulty is pretty hard. Yeah. Um, there was a call I had to make that I, it was really, really arduous to figure out what to do because right. it was a player that had locked down their space dock on a planet that I was pretty sure they did not intend to do it. Right. But it was like, I told everybody like press L to lock down. And yeah. then I felt like they pressed L and but then they were like, wait, how do I move it, it now? Right. Um, and then in their head, they were like, well, I'll figure it out at some point. And yeah. then it's like round around later. And they're yeah. like, how do I do this? Um, yeah. And then they finally figured it out. But then it was like, yeah, what do I do? Because that, that technically their space dock was on this other planet. Right. Um, I ended we had up a player, letting them do we, it, but yeah, we had a player who uh, their fighter tokens, not the fighter plastic, but just the you know what would normally be a cardboard token, those weren't loading in properly. They just it would turn into like a either a question mark or like a little white box thing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And he made one attack that was like way not in his favor because he didn't notice there were as many fighters as there. <sighs> It's like, what do you? What am I supposed to do in that situation as a moderate? Like, right. that's just it sucks. Well, um, so I feel bad for any players who are getting the you know the wrong end of any of those kinds of rulings, um, just because it's it's a weird space. Uh, Ti was not really meant to be moderated. No, the rulebook is not designed in such a way where there's like a final decision for everything. It's a communal game. Yeah, and, and like we've seen multiple rulings from Dane that suggest this, right? His whole stance on showing action cards is there's nothing in the rules that says you can't, mm-hmm. which is a really specific way to word that. Which is like you do whatever you want. I don't care, buddy. Right? You group your group should play Ti how they want to play Ti. The problem is we've taken this game and turned it into something it was never meant to be, which right. is like <laughs> this huge communal agreement on everything that's supposed to take place. It's just it's a really complicated mess, but uh. Hunter, we still have six games to yeah, talk about. Let's here. do it. Let's do it. Let's get into let's, it. Let's get the finer points of all of these games. Let's start with game eight. I game wasn't eight. in this, so nope. you gotta take the lead here. Right. Tell me about the the gist of game eight. Yeah. Um, so well, first of all, I just wanna I wanna throw out everybody that was yeah. uh, where they were and what and what they were doing. Uh, so we had Jim 
uh, in Little and Tight playing as Arborek. Um, we had Katie in uh, Fast and Cultured playing Muat. What up? Um, we had Big and Tight was Mike playing Necro. We had da uh, Darian Slice, which was Andrew playing as Yin. Yin made it into Darian Slice. Whoa. Mm -hmm. Um, times now. We had Chemist playing as in Dangerous Diplo as Winu, um, another Winu, which was great. Mm -hmm. uh, and we had uh, Zany in Slice of the Gashlai playing as Sardak. A lot of Sardak in general in the tournament that I did not expect. Yes. Um, it was nice there being um, uh, a Muat. Uh, I was very Muat excited about that. Muat and Fast and Culture, too. Yeah. I, I, I mean, I, I was like all four seeing Muat in Slice of the Gashlai. That's why we named it, named it that. But. The red and blue skip for Mua, like it's not bad. It's, it's pretty bad. cool to imagine. I don't think we've seen the like the magic of Gravity Drive plus Prototype War Sun two for four movement War Suns yet. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But I can't wait to see it if it happens. Well, and uh, also I want to mention this game is currently available on YouTube. So if you want to watch this one, um, we're gonna do a pretty, I would say, a pretty bare bones uh, coverage of Look it right this. now. Yeah. Um, uh, one thing that was interesting from the very beginning that I noticed about these players is that they wanted to have a very friendly game. Um, yeah. Or, well, I would say most most of them wanted to have a very friendly game. There was one player that kind of from the beginning, it wasn't that they wanted to especially have an unfriendly game, um, but they did not necessarily seem to buy in to the overall to um, just kind of vibe of the table, which was let's have very friendly negotiations and let's just kind of talk everything it through. It seems like that would come from the general weakness of every fat. I mean, this is a very weak board. Yeah. Arborek, yeah. Muat, Sardak, Winu. Right. And then Necro and Yin on the top end. Yeah. And, and Muat and Arborek um, did something kind of interesting that I couldn't decide how I felt about it throughout the game. I think there were several points where I felt like it probably should have ended, but they basically had a... Um, just a, a complete, um, not alliance so much as like there was just a complete uh, non-aggression pact that was yeah. happening between the two of them. Um, and it was, I would say, fairly, it wasn't arbitrary, but it was sometimes it bordered on that for me. I think the yeah. logic was like, hey, we're both playing as two factions that struggle early, um, have yeah. a slow start, um, and and then they just kind of stuck with that. Um and then kind of on the other end of the table, you had some pretty similar stuff going on. Uh, Yin was trying to have a very friendly game with their neighbors, Necro and uh, Winu. Um, mm -hmm. Winu, I will, I, I am pretty proud of uh, the Winu showing in this game. Uh, Winu did uh, successfully um, have, but by the end of the game, Winu had uh, Mechatol with lots and lots of stacks um, yeah. on on Mechatol Rex and it had it been a longer game I wonder how that would have shaped out um right chemist was two Mechatol points it looks like yes they did get two because. um they were a little bit behind basically in everything else I feel like they kind of mm. had to sacrifice a lot to 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 get to that point um but they were looking great to the point where um they could have possibly had a pretty awesome uh swing round uh Sardak ended up getting two support for the thrones if that also kind of tells you what type of right. game this was um, but essentially, a lot of it came down to the fact that um, Necro was playing a more, um, I would say, conventional TTS style of Twilight yeah. Imperium. A more like, um, just kind of more making the types of deals that I'm used to seeing. Right. Um, not that he was making bad deals. He was making uh, uh, fair deals that were just, that were cut right. Um, yeah. And he kind, of, he kind of stuck in his slice a little bit. Um, he wasn't too risky. He would, he would, yeah. he 
he was very victory point motivated, only striking out for control objectives if, if it made sense. Um, and he ended up landing two dynamite um, action phase secret objectives uh, that helped basically get him to that point of like, well, this this guy's gonna be able to go from six uh, till the end of the game, basically. Yeah. Um, yeah, and the last the last round, just looking back at it, I, I, you know, he he started to just completely fly away with it, and had Yin not been scoring before him, he would have been at ten points with nobody else above six. Right. Now, so, Yin managed to get to seven because they got to score first, but, like, that was it. That was the only... Necro just completely ran away with this one, and it sounds like mostly because they decided to to turn on the aggression closer to the end and do what they needed to do to, to win it. Well, yeah, so else... none of these factions we're talking about are um, necessarily going to get that much tech. It's actually kind of a low-tech right. uh, deal. Uh which meant Necro was able to pretty easily collect the tech off of uh, each of each yeah. of the different factions strategically, um, yeah. and you know the the I believe it was the first, maybe the second stage two that came out was uh, the two tech, two in, tech. All, in every in all four colors, yeah. which for most of those factions was a really difficult gambit, uh, but for Necro was it. very very doable. Yeah, um, and honestly, to the point where it, it was one of those games where. Um, Necro saw their path going into the final round mm -hmm. and they were speaker and they took, mm. they didn't even take Imperial. It was about uh, diplomacy, which yeah. actually they, they may have been public disgrace on Imperial and that's why they took diplomacy. Um, but regardless, they just kind of had it in, in right. the bag for, for, for a while. And you know, it goes to show you that, and we've talked about this before, but there is a world of difference uh, in in ten points uh, in the ten point game uh, between five points and six points, it's yeah. it's a huge it's, it's huge it's, yeah because yeah, you five cannot points, end you need the game. like an amazing round to do anything but six points you can you can easily win with right. the right stuff when you get points. to six points that's when you get to that striking distance which is odd yeah. that it kind of works that way that it, that ti is so oddly shaped that it's like once you clear that fifth point it is very conceivable that yeah. if if things go right that you could end this game. Right. And that's something I'll say this much as commentators, if you watch the games back, you'll see us um, kind of, I don't know, we, we get weird in commentary because after yeah. six hours, we all start to turn a little sour in some games or just like antsy to see things kick off. You know, it's just mm -hmm. like it gets really interesting at the commentator's desk. But something I note at a lot of these games is it never feels like people are looking at everyone else at the yeah, table. Yeah. Um, it's, it, there have been multiple times where I think you and I and, and plenty of other players are very aware of that six point thing of any, if anybody's at six points, I need to look at what they've got going on. Right. If you're at six points and you take Imperial, uh, okay, what's going on here? Let's, let's count it all out right now. Let's figure out every single thing that could possibly happen. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. I don't see players doing that. And maybe they're doing it silently to themselves, but I'm the, kind of player and you're definitely the kind of player who would be vocalizing that so that everyone turns their attention towards that person right and right. away from whatever i might be doing it's like all about like he's at six he took imperial what's he got going on everybody look at them and i just don't see that vocalization out of everybody um in these games well and i i, th I think it requires like for people to be really uh wary of that late game swing and how yeah. possible that is um right. and how likely that is to happen um yeah. But yeah, I mean, uh, there was a lot of there's a lot of really uh, interesting and and good play in this one. Um, 
the negoti- the the negotiations went really deep. Uh, they were ne- negotiating everything, um, and uh, a lot of it was very good. I mean, people people would come out ahead and stuff. It just felt like Necro Mike was just playing a different pace yeah. of game, and that ended up paying up paying uh, paying off a lot. Yeah, yeah. Um, but it's I, I think this is kind of this is kind of one of the only games where. Uh, it was just a weird selection of uh, factions. It was a weird uh, slice of them because I yeah. just think like Necro just kind of had like just some huge very, advantage. yeah, some yeah. very, uh, very natural advantages um, over a lot of these other factions. Yeah. Um, a yeah. good draft, basically. Good, good drafting draft. on. Good, good drafting on. <laughs> a, a decisive draft. Maybe not even good, but like a very decisive draft. And whoever's going to end up with Necro had a. Right, and and and, and he recognized the, he recognized the opportunity and was able to play with the right attitude in order. Like, I I don't want this to sound like what I'm saying is that essentially all of the table were like super friends, and then Mike was just like a jerk. It no, wasn't like right. that. It was like Mike, but Mike was playing. Um, Mike wasn't doing anything arbitrarily as far as right. like just keeping everyone. He know, wasn't. Sweet. It sounds like he wasn't playing the meta as much. Everyone else was trying to be the friendly person. Sure. And yes, sometimes people yes. use that as the meta advantage. Hey, I'm such a good friend. Why would you do anything to hurt me? Whereas Necro's just like, I, I'm just going to play the game and get my points. And yeah. I'm going to make deals when it makes sense to make them. Yeah. Early on in this game, uh, I feel like it was like round two or three. There was like a trade. Um, somebody flipped trade. And the, just the way they were talking to him to each other the way they were negotiating how many deals they were making all around the Mm. table i remember i said uh to root i was like i don't know what's going to happen to these people in the late game yeah Um, and honestly (laughs) i feel like it it ended before we could even see what that was going to be like because if they had all been at seven i have no idea honestly the kind of deals it would have been been, well a lot of stuff would have fallen apart and it would have been pretty i feel like pretty rough pretty pretty bloody well, I want to tell you about game nine. Yeah, tell you me. Were in that one, that's yeah. I was doing game nine while you were doing game eight. Um, so let's let's kind of walk through that. The first thing that I just kind of want to point out that was weird um, was we had uh, GSL, who now goes by Mad Scientist on the Discord. Changed his name recently, but uh, Mad Scientist um, was first to pick in the actual draft and grabbed Muat right away, which to <laughs> me was. Wow ballsy but also not necessary because you he could have easily grabbed a good slice and of course been left with muat mm-hmm. but he kind of he's one of those players we've had a few of these in the tournament now where they were saying beforehand like i'm gonna play this faction you can't stop me right so kind of the kind of the cheeky choice more than the like i definitely you know want to make sure i'm doing the most strategic thing possible mm-hmm. um, but he went into this with a with a strong muat plan um so to go through like we did with yours uh, to go through the players adam was the Mentac Coalition in Little and Tight. Nick was the Arborek in Fast and Cultured. Wecker was Xcha in Big and Tight. Uh, Xcha in Big and Tight is is fun. We named Dangerous Diplo, and that makes people want to play Xcha there. But people have pointed out that Big and Tight is very good for Xcha. Yeah. Um, really good, like, sway of, like, you know, it's it's tight, right? The the influence are the influence, the resources mm-hmm. are the resources. Mm-hmm. There's no crossover. The green skip, if you want to just real quickly get your instinct training, is great. Um it's just it's just convenient or green skip to cruiser two if you want to in general fun slice um topaz dragon was yin in darian slice uh muat as a mad scientist was in dangerous diplo um and that was part of a result of them picking muat first as they ended up getting getting dangerous stuck, diplo, yeah. which is kind of getting regarded as one of the worst um slices dangerous diplo and darian slice definitely suffering in the tournament and mantis was the l1 z1x in slice of the gashly 
Um, this one had a fun instance, round one, that I think is really worth noting, which is that um, Arborek and L1Z1X talked openly about their plans to do a three-for-three three trade. Um, and Mentak completely screwed them over. Uh, he, he threw a cruiser in the way to, uh, to interrupt their trade. Like, he blocked their path to each other with his cruiser. Um, so it completely, like, it's, they still got to trade. I shouldn't say block the path, but Mentak got in the way and was there to pillage their round one trading. They wanted to do a three-for-three, three, ended up being a two-for-two-for-two two two with Mentak pillaging their two, part of that deal. Um, um, interesting things around one, two was everyone expanded decently, but Arborek gained two tech instead of getting a second carrier. They used the money that they gained, um, as well. They, they ended up getting a third trade good somewhere that, you know, they got three total trade goods, but they bought two tech instead of kind of the expansion thing, which Arborek's whole deal was sort of is building the snowball. So I was right, not right. a huge fan of seeing two tech. I think getting Sarween is important and and nothing else is that big of a deal. Right. Uh, round one. And I think we're starting to see too that like pushing yourself too far on tech isn't helping. We're we're starting to see uh trade is like most people are winning games as trade with first pick. There's like something like five games won out of 13 mm-hmm. where trade was their first pick. Mm-hmm. So it's just like it's it, round one it's about getting an economic advantage. Right. Not stre- you don't need to stretch yourself thin and you don't need to like overtech. You just need to stabilize yourself. If you're a weaker faction that is starting not stable, it is only important to stabilize. And if you are really strong, you need to not throw that out of whack. You just need to keep yourself strong. Right. Right. Um Which so is I think why this was a Hakan is the best faction. Right. Exactly. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um so uh, this game was fun. Man, this is so. This is one of the games that my audio has. Um, has I had audio issues, up. and yeah. I've I've ruined it. And this one is such a shame because Mad Scientist, uh, after every single status phase, would give us these amazing um, commercials. He mm-hmm. he would play commercials for us, and by commercials I mean like he would read us advertisements that were just absolutely hilarious and he did one and we were like oh my gosh that was so funny you have to do more and so then he spent the rest of the game just like writing more for us and every status phase he had a new a new commercial and i'm loading one up right now because i have to give you a taste of of these sense especially because you can't you can't really hear them in the game and i don't know that i'm gonna be able to fix that um so here's here's one commercial that he did for himself as the muat Does your star empire lack that little something special? Do your neighbors mock your puny fleets? Do your dreams of galactic conquest seem unattainable? Well, then come on down to Muat War Sons and Sons. We have moon-sized death (laughs) machines custom-built to meet your every need. Muat War Sons and Sons, where your gleeful laughter as the galaxy burns is our only concern. Muat War Sons and Sons (laughs) is not liable for any war crimes committed with our products. In some rare cases, plasma reactor vents have been known to cause cascading reactions when assaulting by long stunt fighters. If this is, happens to you, please contact your warranty representative. <laughs> oh, that's great! Yeah. Oh man, we we got to get him on uh, on like for the finals or something. Like yeah, that. That he, would be I, fantastic. He's, he's been writing me more and sending me more. I've got one for Soul. We've got one for Yin. There's a bunch of them. Oh no! That. Hey, We're no, he's, bring... he's coming on. He's, he's going to pop on. on. Right, he's going to pop on during the status <laughs> phase of the finals to do those. I like, yeah, um, for certain. So, um, moving on with the game, though, uh, Yin grabbed uh, Mechatol early, 
And then Muat was parked right next door, ready to just completely decimate it if he wanted to, which I, I kept being like, oh, are we going to just like see Muat, like an aggressive Muat, you know, just start taking the board? Because no one was going to like balk at him kicking Yin off a of Mechatol. That's a scary thought to have right, Yin. And, right, and so right. I was all kinds of ready for it. But uh, instead, it kind of turned into one of those sort of amicable, peaceful, like everyone's just maneuvering around each other, uh, round twos. Mm-hmm. Um, Muat did threaten Mechatol Rex, but uh, Yin ended up paying them off with his frac- uh, his faction promissory note, um, which I enjoy. Um, I'm I'm wanting more and more for people to start divvying up their uh, faction promissory notes to people. Anyone who doesn't have a crazy one, it's like we were talking about the L1Z1X the other day of just like nobody gives that thing out. And right, it's such and it's a, good. Like, no- like, it's it's good, and it has nothing to do with L1Z1X. By the way, there's no reason why. L1's power should be to give someone a strategy counter, but whatever. Sure, um, whatever. It's, it's a great one, and I haven't seen it dealt to anybody, I feel like, this whole uh, tournament. Yeah. But, um, and then there's further deals later where Muat gives their ceasefire over to Yin uh, for a trade agreement and some votes during fleet regulations. So lots of power handed over in the agenda phase. I- I've seen this a couple times where, like, agenda phases, people are doing big deals for votes that, like, don't feel like as big of a deal as what like power they're granting someone else. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. Uh, we'll, we'll see how that like continues forward, especially in the semis. I'm interested to see how things start to shake out, but uh, it's, agenda phases have been really weird. Um, after that, trying to give kind of the overview of like the rest of the game. And it, it really is. They, they all did maneuvers where they sort of got slightly into each other's slices and so then in the mid game, they had to like dance around each other to like get their stuff back. It's like, okay, I gave you Tarman. When am I going to get that back? And that's a pretty normal interaction of like, okay, you leave and then I'll move in after you. But that was happening like over and over and over again, like with multitudes of people right, interrupting right. each other. It's like, okay, I want to get that. I want to get Tarman back, but you can't leave until Muat leaves Thiba so that you can move into Thiba and then I'll move into Tarman. And it was that kind of complication. And so what that was doing was it was getting players to like, they were missing out on scoring opportunities because they were just trying to like re-solidify their positioning because mm-hmm. like the middle of the game just looks like this ridiculous rainbow of units. Just like, there's just stuff everywhere. Right. And it's so hard to figure out how is anyone going to like make a late game out of this? Because you're, Nobody has like a defensive territory. There's just there's just units everywhere. Right. So that so they were doing a. Are you saying that they were doing a lot of trading for control objectives? Exactly. Basically? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. It was like yeah. planet trades for control objectives. It's funny objectives that because this game was happening at the same time as game eight. Yeah. That the the theme here with both is actually a lot of players trying to play this game that's really mm-hmm. about like galactic conquest. They're trying right. to play it really, really sweet and nice. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't call these players sweet, though. It was very much like everyone thought they were getting a leg up on each other. So it wasn't just like, let's do this. It was like, you're going to have it for this round, and then I'm going to be able to get it back immediately. And then right. I'm going to, it's just like, it, it was like kind of overcomplicated uh, problems. Mm-hmm. Um, but this one was kind of similar to your Necro Runaway. This one was a little bit defined by our L1Z1X had a pretty clear path to victory. And if you watch the video, you'll hear, you'll only hear my commentary and you'll hear a lot of my commentary saying, I wish L1 was pushing even more for it because L1 could have won in round five if they had taken Imperial. Mm -hmm. Um, But 
L1 was smart and didn't do what I probably would have done in his shoes, which is push too hard to get it. And then someone, you know, all it takes is one person messing up my plans. And now I'm completely screwed over. Right, right. He took the safe path. It was the slower path. And and my fear with any slower path is that someone else is going to catch up to you and then pull ahead. Um, so I was constantly afraid for L1 missing their opportunity to win when they had such a clear uh, kind of direction for it. But they ended up just being able to maintain. And the final round had some really weird uh, fights. Like Yin tried to jump on Muat's home system and got experimental battle stationed. Um L1 in the final round, because they didn't take Imperial, um, for round five, what they had to do was uh, build their flagship at their home system and deactivate it and move it out to kill a planet and in that same, or kill a, you know, win with this flagship. He had to unveil flagship and in the same activation, because he didn't have enough command counters, he would need to also invade one industrial planet for his fourth. And that was the only way he would be able to pull it off. Wow. And so it was like, this is like a long shot. Nothing, like, there's no way. It's going to have to go to round six. Um, but then he gets it out. It it was a really confusing ending, and I'm trying to wrap my head around my notes with it. But th- there was a moment where he was attacking with his flagship, and then he considered using a skilled retreat, which is a – which there's no victor. That's right. a that's a right. draw. That's a draw. And so I didn't know. I it seemed like another situation where they were like trying to push it another round. They didn't see how they would definitely win it this round. Um, but they they didn't play it. They they bait out a ceasefire. Um, it with one attack. The, the, the attack they're trying to use this unveil flagship on is not even supposed to be the attack that's going to win them the game um, because the player they're attacking has a ceasefire, but the person doesn't play the ceasefire because they don't see the final notes coming so l1 l1 just like gets a free easy attack and and wins the fight with his with his flagship um so it was kind of like a surprisingly fast win for l1 basically Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um uh, sort of similar to to your necro one but but like i would say even more just like oh shoot l1's l1's got this in the bag now and like he's gonna leave everybody in the dust i mean it's it's just gonna be you know, it's going to not even look like it was a competition. Yeah. The, the final score was Lizix at 10 and then four players at five and Arborek at three. Wow. So like absolutely just smoked them in, in the end there. Mm-hmm. And it was kind of like everybody kind of saw them being the lead. But I, if I remember right, and maybe I'm misremembering this part, but it felt like everybody expected it to go to round six. And then it was just like, oh, nope, shoot. It's over. We're we're do- we're done, and nobody's going to get to score any more points. Wow. Um. So just a really just kind of down and dirty fast game. Can I ask uh, a question was, about the yeah. ceasefire? Was it that the other player didn't remember that they had the ceasefire, or they remembered it and they were just like, "I'm not going to no, play it on this." I, if I if I'm remembering it right, I, I think it was they they were like expecting there to be more things that needed to happen, mm-hmm. and. So they just were waiting for the bigger attack, which I've been in. I've been in that situation before, where it's like I can't afford to, you know, use the ceasefire now because the big attack is going to be when I when I need to use it. That's going to come right, right. here in just a minute. And no, it just it wasn't. It was it was a very simple little little fight. Well, you know, that just goes to show you there that like you you, you got to try. You know, like if if you're right. like, well, they've got my ceasefire. I don't know what to do. Like. 
I don't know. Give it a shot. Like people, people mess up with ceasefires all the time. Right. I remember we saw a game at Gen Con where somebody lost a game because they didn't play a ceasefire. Yep. Wasn't that right? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. It's wild. Um, Anything that else was, you want that to say? That was a little bit due to the clock, right? That In that game, it was oh, like yeah. they had four hours and he he forgot because we were like, we have three minutes. Like it was like literally go time at that point. And so he they were upset, rightfully so, that it was like, I forgot because I had like four people screaming down my, you know, mm-hmm. at every action. Well, um, that's why we don't have a timer. That's why we definitely don't have a timer. But we also do it in the digital world where there is no time anyways. <laughs> um, do we talk about game 10? Yeah, let's jump into game 10. Game 10 is pretty... This is... this. Uh, I mean, I don't think it's fair necessarily to say this uh-huh. uh, to all of my though. other children. That uh, All of these games game are my children. Tournament. Yeah, this has sure. been my favorite game of the tournament. Yeah. Um, it was a... It was the closest we've gotten to an edge of your seat yeah. um, th- a thing. And I think it's because for so much of the game... Uh, well, let's just, let's, let's just go right into it. Um... So the the draft was pretty all over the place. Um, we ended up with uh, in in the draft Necro, Nalu, Isarl, Arborek, Extra, Muat, Sardak. So just that perfect split of like two yeah. very different ways of thinking yeah, right. about the draft. <laughs> um, so uh, here's here's our players. We had uh, uh, Kaola um, with Sardak Nor in Dangerous Diplo. We had uh, Jimbo V, Jim Bov, Jim Bazero V, um, <laughs> playing as the Arborek in Slice who, of the Gashlai. Who played as Arborek at Gen Con. Yeah. Uh-huh. Very well. Uh-huh. We were hotly anticipating Jim Bov as Arborek. Uh-huh. Um, the next was Ryan playing as Necro in Little and Tight. Uh, and then we had, is it Schrader or Schroeder? You I, tell me. I wasn't I, Well, because I... <laughs> Felt like we were all saying, yeah. I think we were all saying it differently every time. I'm sorry. I will totally accept some very meanly worded errata on the pronunciation <laughs> of your name. Um, but uh, he was playing as Isarl in Fast and Cultured. Um, we had Son of Leto playing as Extra in Big and Tight. Um, n- another Extra in Big and Tight. It's, it's, mm-hmm. It was good. Uh, we had Paul, um, who we also saw at the uh, Gen, Gen Con, Con tournament. tournament. Playing yep. as Nalu, which he also played as Nalu played at the Gen Con. Very, very well, yeah. Nalu, yep. Um, and he was in uh, Darien Slice. Um, the round one was pretty uh, pretty wild, and I wish I had like all of the specifics of it, because I remember even at round one being like, this is the best round one uh, yeah. that we've seen. If you're um, going to watch any game, I would say, and you're, and you're like hesitant to watch the entire game, Pull up at least game 10 and watch the first, like, hour. Yeah. Um, I, I even just skimmed through it before we started recording because I haven't seen this. Like, I wasn't in this game. But uh, it is a really cool first hour. <laughs> like, it's just crazy. So, yeah, r- round one was was just a lot of really solid play. It, I remember just feeling like at the beginning of it that everyone seemed to be very uh, well-versed and, and, and just... They all just seemed really formidable. Yeah. Um, Jim Bob was had a really uh, exciting uh, play as Arborek. Being able to get Warfare round one mm-hmm. uh, for Arborek is uh, very tasty, and he was in the right slice for that. Yeah. Um, slice of the Gashlight is a pretty interesting um, deal for them, I feel like, uh, especially just because Air Namir is worth a uh, Mechatol. You know what I mean? Right. So yeah. it's like... 
it's like he just got everything done and was so poised to take Mechatol round two. Um, he was so poised, in fact, that he did not actually research Sarween, as far as I remember. Right. I might be wrong about that. I'm pretty sure he did no, he not. Didn't. Yeah, um, he didn't. And then everybody else just did a really good, just solid openings all across the board. Like right. by It was like by the end of round one, it looked like the end of round two. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like all, all of the slices were filled out. Um Schroeder, Schrader. I want to talk. I want to talk about Schroeder a little bit because yeah. I I watched some of this and knowing how kind of some of the rest of the game goes, I think we at, in round one we have to start talking about Schroeder mm-hmm. because Schroeder on his first action goes, all right, everybody, let's start talking about trade. I'm not going to play trade right now, but we need to start talking about it. Right. Um. He organizes a situation where he needs Sardak to fly a cruiser through the empty beta wormhole into Xcha's Quan area right. so that he can trade with Sardak. And then he's like, okay, and I know Xcha, you're probably not happy about me telling Sardak to come into your space, so let me offer you this deal. And then I also want to do a deal with Necro, my other neighbor, and hopefully we can maybe do some tech trading. You know, I can offer you up some cheap ships later. He's just like already talking to everybody. But in talking to everybody, he's saying, so... You're gonna, and, and it's so funny to hear him word it this way because he's like trying to be a nice guy. But what he says is, so x you'll give me a three to two in my favor. And then Necro, you'll give me a three to two in my favor. Uh-huh, and then uh-huh. x you're going to give me a four to three in my favor. And like that sentence is crazy. It's like, what? You want three people to just like give you a bunch of money? I it's, mean, it's interesting how different the approaches were um, between uh, Schroeder and uh, Jim Bob. Uh, because Jim Bob was more of a just like, I have this thing I'm going to do, and yep. it's so stable, and I don't need you to give me permission to do it. I'm just going to do it. Right. Um, whereas Schroeder was like, a, I am going to play all of this table yeah. the whole time. Um, right. And yeah, he, he would make a lot of deals. He would make a lot of deals going in various directions that sometimes conflicted with each other. It was like having... Um, yeah, just like two very different schools of thought in the same game, basically. How often was he doing secret conversations? Because it feels like he was just an above-the-board yeah, schmoozer. He, it was, it was, <laughs> that's a very good way to put it, actually. <laughs> Schroeder was an above-the-board schmoozer. Um, <laughs> always making uh, lots of deals, even sometimes just out of good faith. He, he did something interesting uh, that I have seen Isaro players do before, but I haven't seen it in a long time, where he would use SpyNet... To yeah. effectively sell action cards, right. you basically say, "I will give you Spynet," and then you the and how Spynet the promissory note works is you get to look through their hand and take a card. But he mm-hmm. would give them it uh, in a non-binding agreement that was basically like, "You're going to use this to take one particular card that I have." Um, right. And a lot of times he would show them. He would be like, "I have this card. Yeah. Um, you know, come come get it." Basically. And doing this, he was able to make a, a lot of money and make a lot of very interesting yeah. deals. So trying uh, to be like a Hakan light, but right. like a way more, <laughs> having to do a lot more legwork. Yeah. Um, and I will say that uh, while I think it's a, a really interesting play, it did have the the Achilles heel to it constantly that it was completely based on non, non-binding deals that right. could have been at any point uh, betrayed, but uh, they did not, That like the, as far as, as far as I remember, no one really balked at it. Right. Um, so yeah, there was there was just a lot of uh, a lot of really solid play across the board. Um, but the mid game is pretty insane. Well, um, hang on. The one thing I want to throw oh, out there sure, too, sure, though, sure. is this whole big deal that got made round one totally oh, with fell Sardak apart and, and because 
X, uh, Sardax Cruiser did go into Extra Slice, and Extra was very quickly just like, all right, well, that was fun, but I have two cruisers. I'm sending them. I'm killing the Sardax thing, and I'm renegotiating the deal. So, right, uh, right. I don't know what their final deal ended up being, but he he very actively was like, Asaro, we need to talk again now because you're obviously your deal is off, but we're gonna re we're gonna rework this. So put putting muscle on him right away. I, I and and that was super cool. Um, and I will say that that kind of that flavor um, kind of happened a lot, especially yeah. between uh, Leto uh, playing as Extra and and Schroeder in general. It felt like their styles kind of would butt heads in that way Uh, because Schroeder wanted to deal with everybody at the same time. And Leto was more about trying to get um, the uh, upper hand or leverage, um, which I think is kind of more akin to, I I would say that's kind of more how I play because I don't generally approach the negotiating table unless I have some sort of leverage. Whereas Schroeder's way of playing uh, was kind of, it kind of reminded me too of, uh, of Jensen a little bit. Mm-hmm. Of like, I am going to deal with all of you all the time if I can. Right. Um, and then you, and then on top of that, you have uh, Jim Bob playing a meticulous like Arborek of just like I'm going to take Mechatol Rex and I'm going to sit there and I'm going to take uh, as many Mechatol Rex points as I possibly can. Like, yeah. and, and it's similar to the strategy that he employed in uh, his his Gen Con game, uh, w- which was just to like efficiently take. Uh, Mechatol Rex with a faction that honestly is not set up to do it, and I don't know how he has done it both times. I've only seen, I've yeah. only seen him play twice, and both times right. he, he got, got to Mechatol Rex and just locks it down. Yeah. Um, well, he got four Mechatol points. Yeah. Throughout the course of this yes. game, as our yes, yes, that is wild. Right. So that's counting the the initial one, yeah. and then that's three, three times Imperials. that he took Imperial. And because yeah. he was Arborek, he was able... I feel like that kind of plays into it, too. It's Arborek. So it's like, ah, oh, well, you know, let him have it. But, like... Sure. He, you he, do that a couple times. That's how our Winu right. won the game that they won. It's like, you don't let the person get away with it just because you think they're a weak faction. A strong player can get away with anything. Yeah. Um, yeah, and he... Like, he left... He did leave his slice, I would say, pretty vulnerable. It was kind of kind of be that classic, like, I've got my home system, and I've got Mechatol Rex. And that's yeah. basically it. That's 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 what I've got going on. Um, at some point, he did lose uh, his home system. Uh, but what's crazy is that things things kind of went all over the place for for Jim in the uh, in the mid game, and then all of a sudden, this path opened up. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's so it's so crazy to think about. It's a, it's at about uh, I don't know like six hours into the game. Yeah. Um, there is this point where what Jim needs to win the game is three uh, upgrades. Yes. Uh, he has he has one already. I don't even remember which one it was. Um, and then he's going to get one this round, and he just needs to get one the next round. And then he's basically won the game. Um, he's I got bel- PDS 2. Yeah. He needs to get Destroyer 2, and he needs to get Space Dock 2. What he yes. has is Majin, Sarween, and Transit Diodes. Mm-hmm. So he's got two yellow. He only has one red. Right. And so this is, it sucks that this is what it came down to, right? Is a bad tech path that you just get. Like right. your, your, your Arborek, I don't think he did anything wrong researching the tech that he researched. Right. He's Arborek. He's not going to get to research a bunch of tech. So right. you kind of have to stick with the path that you're, that it's given to you. Yeah. Um, and when you start with Majin of all things, uh, actually right. going for PDS two first makes a lot of sense. Yep. Um, so he has a choice. He's going to research either Space Dock 2 or Destroyer 2. Um, 
this round. And mm. he picks Space Dock 2. He has uh, Mir, and Mir has to be his red skip to right. get Destroyer 2. And so you it, and Root talk a lot about this in the commentary, where Root is very much like you have to do Destroyer Shoot because you might not have Mir later. Yes. Because his slice has been gutted at this right, point. Right, And so it seemed in your guy, if he gets Destroyer 2, he'll have Space Dock 2 on lockdown whenever. Right. But he instead decides to get Space Dock 2. And and there there was a variable in all of this that was very, was super wild. Um, it was that that schroeder was offering him political stability so that he mm. could keep imperial and win in the action phase of the next, the next round. round um now i don't wow. know that schroeder saw it that way and also right. i mean i would honestly i would love to sit down with with both of them to even just get to the bottom of what was going on in their heads mm-hmm. because it was really strange um why because, he wanted to give him that card right, so bad. Because it's not like this was all based off a secret objective. This was based off a public objective that people yep. could see if they were looking that he could score. Um, yeah. So Jimbov was really confused by the deal that Schroeder was offering. And he was offering it for a pretty paltry sum. I don't even remember what it was bought. Yeah. But I think it was like one trade good or something like that. Um, but it, it, it wasn't really much uh, of anything. Um, so like... <laughs> Like, Jim Bob was confused because he was like, you're just going to sabotage this. And then Schroeder yeah. was like, no, I'm not going to sabotage it. Right. Um, which made things, honestly, this is kind of the most dramatic, I would say, piece of a game uh, yeah. thus far has been. it's just like, are you lying or aren't you? Right, what right. Are, what, am I, what am I faced with? What is this yes. choice I have yes. to make right now? Are you lying or not? <laughs> and, and honestly, I really, I really want to pick both of their brains about the moment because it, it is really interesting. Um, so I will say this. Uh, Jim Bob played... A really ga- great game. Uh, he makes one, I would say, pretty little mistake. Right. Um, that that he should have bought Destroyer Two first because if if he had gone after um, Space Dock Two for the win, there would have been no way to contest him for that to without completely him. taking uh, his home system. But then right. on top of that, there's this weird deal that Schroeder makes where he does eventually give Jim Bob political stability, and now we're freaking out because yeah. we're like. Jim Bob's about to get to play political stability and win off of that based off this deal. Yeah. Um, and it's like, there's no deal you can make that gives someone the game that is worth it. Yeah. And then somehow uh, the way it actually plays out is everyone else calls out that political stability is going to um, give Jim Bob the game. And then Schroeder does sabotage it, which is oh. like, so, so he did. I mean, I, he I actually lying. feel bad th- yeah. spoiling it for you all now. Um, because it was just so, it was really, really wild. Now, I will say yeah. this. Uh, if, regardless, Jim Bob still could have won. He, yeah. still had, he still had a path. Had a um, path. And if it weren't for, and, and oh my God, let's talk about the, the heart-wrenching way that the final round played out for Jim Bob. Because, like I said, so, he, so he's going in the final round. He needs Destroyer 2. He got Space Dock 2 the, the round before. Um, so he needs Mir, right? Mm-hmm. Um, First thing that happens, uh, he, he, he ends up with uh, Diplomacy is his strategy card going into the final round, which was a smart, yeah. smart pick. You pick the highest um, highest initiative you can get. Um, right. And I don't even think he was going by that logic. I think he was just trying to play defensive. Right. Um, but so w- what, uh, what ended up happening is uh, round one, um, Mir gets uh, in, uh, invaded. No, what happens to Mir? Something happens to Mir. Uh, okay. 
And no, I remember uh, it gets, somebody uses an action card on it to exhaust it. And then he uses diplomacy to refresh it. So it seems like it, it's it, everything is having to do with Mir because he needs to text Oh, him. I remember. Now yeah. I can remember what you're talking about. So now. it's really, and I forget what action cards it was. I wish I could remember. It was like, oh, I think they used Uprising yeah, on it. Did. And then he has to, to, to flip it. And I'm like, well, yep. that's, that's the game. And then I realized like, oh, wait, no, he's got diplomacy. He's perfect for this. This is great. He yep. uses diplomacy on it, refreshes it back. Now that he's used diplomacy on it, everybody's looking at it. Yep. And then somebody unstable planets it. Right. And then so he gets double it. exhausted. Game game is over yeah. um, for him. Uh, he does end at nine. Uh, very respectable Arborek end, in my opinion. Yeah. And he played a great well, game. Well, after, don't um, forget, after I, losing almost, like, losing his home system for a while and most of his slice, all he had was Mechatorex. And then as for a while, all he had was Mechatorex in his home system and yeah. still got nine points as Arborek. That's, that is huge. Yeah. But... Not to discount the victory of Schroeder by being just like the most cunning Isarl and backstabby and lying and yeah, like he was taking the <laughs> taking the dirty course to victory. But when uh-huh. you win, well, that's okay. You won, right? So yeah, Schroeder does end up winning uh, as Isarl, um, and I and it it is it is very well uh, deserved. Um, but yeah, you got to watch this one. There's just some characters in it, you know. Yeah. Like Schroeder yeah, being, it's, it's one of the ones that I don't really want to watch more games than I've already watched, but it's hard for me to resist watching this one on yeah. my on my free time. <laughs> what yeah. little I have left, <laughs> uh, and 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 also like I don't know. There's there's an underdog thing happening here. I realize that in the end, I'm telling you that Schroeder won, uh, but we pretty much solely talked about Arborek. Jim Bob's Arborek play. Yeah, and it's just because you can't help under, but root for uh, underdog. Yeah, you can't help. I'm rooting it. for um, every Muwat in yeah. the tournament. Like, I just am. Especially yeah. if they're in Fast and Cultured or Slice of the Gashlight. It's like, I'm rooting for you. I can't wait. I can't wait right. to see how this goes. Right. And then right. most of the time they crash and burn because it's a right. bad faction. But, yeah. <laughs> but sometimes it goes really awesome. Hey, let's uh, not forget our, of our really Winu, awesome Winu. Muwat. Yeah. Let's talk about game 11. Yeah, let's do it. Game 11 allowed in a SAR. Always scary to see a SAR in a game. Um, and also allowed in... Uh, Arborek and Muwa into the into the nomination process. Our final factions were RJ in Fast and Cultured as Muat. Love Muat in Fast and Cultured. Alex in Big and Tight as the L1Z1X. Fabian as uh, the Yin and Darian Slice. Rob as Sar in Dangerous Diplo. Evan as Ghost in Slice of the Gashlight. And Seth in Little and Tight as Asarl. This is like my favorite makeup of factions that fit their slice really well. Mm-hmm. Um... Muon Fast and Cultured, obviously great. L1 in Big and Tight, the green skip, like you start with Neuralvader for some reason as L1 and then skip up to Hyper and then go do all the L1 other tech stuff. Right. Just feels really cool. Um, Fabian in in as Yin in the slice that we named after Yin. Right. Um, <laughs> Sar makes the most sense because it's first pick Sar. So where you're gonna where are you gonna end up? You're gonna end up in Dangerous Diplo, and you don't really care. You're just gonna move on through yeah, it. Yeah, doesn't matter. Um, I've been so excited every time we see a Ghosts have even the option to get Slice of the Gashlight because I want to see a War Sun Ghosts very badly. Um, and this is our first game with a Yasarl not in Dangerous Diplo, and it's well, the sixth time they've been played last last game we had we had an asarl not in dangerous diplo 
uh, were these two played at the same time? Because I think that's the point. Is yeah, these that, two games yeah. were played oh, okay, at the same okay. time, yeah. and in the same day, RSRL's got in different spots. So that's true. So yeah. I was very excited in my game to see SRL not in DD. Right. Um, so moving forward with that, um, Muat plays trade right off the bat before doing anything. Um, and does refreshing stuff, and it's just, like, banking on getting to deal with ghosts later, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, and there, nobody does anything stupid or crazy. It's just a solid round one, similar to, similar to your game. Just a, just fun to watch. Um, in round two, there's some stuff of, like, the Yin builds their huge van in round two, which I'm always afraid of anybody building a flagship round two that isn't Excha. Um, but he does this because Sar is already kind of starting to threaten. He like uh, he makes an attack on Yin, and he's just starting to move his Sar ball in that direction. So Yin is just like, you know what? I know how to put a stop to this huge van. You're go away, and and so Sar basically has to. Um, they eventually uh, swap support for the thrones just to call it off. Um, but at this point, Yin ends up with a really good position and this game is just so interesting because what what ends up happening is because of the support for the throne trade yin gets to just hold it over sar i mean like yin is like all over sar's stuff they've kind of like swapped things back and forth now and um yin could just corner sar if he wanted to with their support for the throne swap uh sar has the three main systems in dangerous diplo and can't go anywhere else mm-hmm. can't go anywhere to his right would have to go into ghosts to their left if they want to go in any direction without losing a point so it's like you just locked down sar in round two it's a it, it felt like a really big deal because you know we're used to seeing sar kind of just like have the run of it and this one was just immediately like sar doesn't get to go anywhere sar is locked like we're, we're just gonna not see much of a sar ball or anything mm-hmm. or at the very least all they're gonna do is build up in their slice and eventually break out but they're gonna have to lose a point to do it right um so sar does start moving into ghosts um we see uh muat get lots of money uh muat takes trade i think two times within the first three rounds um and is stockpiling all of it um similarly l1 is stockpiling a lot i actually would want to watch this one back because when we get to like round three or or not three but like four or five l1 has so much money and i don't even understand where he got it all from he just was like constantly trading little by little and never spending any trade goods because Mm -hmm. in the late game muat and l1 just had these huge stacks of cash and i kept expecting muat to spend their money on a second war son Uh, and i talked to him after the game and he said he kept expecting to himself as well and he kept expecting to get gravity drive but little things kept getting in the way and honestly that's what helped make his game even better is uh going into the late game um basically like muat keeps opening up all these nice opportunities and is is never getting threatened by anybody and uh like going into round five muat and l1 are in incredibly strong positions and there's like a really good chance that muat can win the game mm-hmm. in fast and cultured uh, because of because of the stockpile um yin starts getting weakened uh the the, the whole sar back and forth has kind of ended up costing them a lot um yin gets into a position where they basically stop being able to score any public objectives um they, they lose so many ships and just too, too many bad they had really bad roles if i remember right mm-hmm. um just like a bunch of unlucky combats so um, that's that helps L1 in a major way because L1 is their neighbor. Um, so L1 sets up a really huge um, six-point swing in round five, but doesn't really... It's the same situation as my last L1 game, which is 
I see that they could have a huge swing and they just take the kind of like minor the slower swing. route, the safer, but slower route. But if they had taken the fast route, it's like would have been almost a victory for them. Um, now that being said, we'll, we'll get there, but um, they, they end up, they, they need to unveil their flagship. And for some reason in round five, they just go park their flagship in the empty asteroid field between them and Muwat, which was like really upsetting to me. Cause they could have just gotten the point, but it's one of those situations where like, they're just going to try to get the action phase point next round instead of scoring it too fast and then looking like they're in the lead. Mm-hmm. But this was one of those games where I'm like, y- the lead isn't going to be what kills you this game. Your home system looks fine. No, like, I just didn't see a world where they were going to become such a target that it ruined their chances to win because all the stuff coming up was spending objectives. Right, and they right. had a bank of, they had a bankroll. They were going to be fine. Um, so they, they take the slow route. They spend five trade goods. Um, they could have done the two pointer, so they could have unveiled their flagship and scored a two point stage two. Instead, they didn't do any secrets and only got a stage one objective. So they had to go into round six. And what that ended up doing is now Muat has just as much of a chance because Muat gets Imperial and the whole round, it's just looking at how L1 versus Muat is going to play out. Now, that being said, Muat had a really big long shot. But again, it's Muat. I was super rooting for Muat in Fast and Cultured. Uh, they needed to take and hold the beta wormhole, hold the alpha wormhole, hold their home, and that's how they would win. What sucked was for Muat, they misread their secret objective the round before to have a, uh, ships in an alpha and a beta wormhole. Uh, they tried to claim it, and they only had ships in an alpha wormhole because they just didn't. They just like brain farted and didn't pay attention to it. So now everyone knows they need to be in the beta wormhole and they have to get there and keep Ah, it there. So it's just like a really awkward predicament for them versus L1 who just needs to research. uh, They needed to have three. um, It was a, it was a funny dynamic actually between the two of them because they could either get two unit upgrades, but then that path needed them to also win a fight with their flagship still and just do a lot of things. It was really tricky. Um, but instead, what they chose to do, which was the smarter play, was um, they researched a bunch of blue tech um, to have uh, all four in one color, which was their secret objective. And then they still need to win a fight with their flagship and bank all their 16 influence um, for that point instead. The 16 influence was a little bit harder to bank, but it gave them the room to do the other objectives, mm-hmm. which is why it ended up being like the smarter play than the... They basically had two options to win the game, and one of them was just just barely more solid. Um, so it came out to be an L1 victory, you know, just off the cuff of a Muat. Um, and, and this one, I would say, just, like, mostly defined by, uh, like, smart, quiet play out of the L1. That's mm-hmm. kind of the only way I can I can word it is just, like, being very tactical and, and precise and... Again, taking the slow paths every time, but in really smart, calculated ways. The only play that like I questioned was him just moving his flagship into the, the asteroid field. But it made sense because what he was doing is trying to get closer to Muwat's weak other fleet, his not Muwat's non Warsun fleets. He was just trying to get next to like an empty carrier. So he was just taking the slow route every time. Um, another thing of note was uh, we had a really great player. If I when I get this game up or when Root gets this game up, whoever it is, I forget who recorded it. Uh, we had a player named Fabian who uh, just has such a soothing accent and was like a schmoozer and kind of a deal maker, but in like a nice way. Uh, but but 
also not like he would say that he would break deals constantly but in a way where you're like nah, all right well that's fine i forgive you it's not a big deal whatever like he he would he would be openly admit to like ah yes that that was the um that was the case before but um i'm sorry things have changed and uh, I'll no longer be able to hold my end of that deal. Um, <laughs> sorry. Cheers. All right. Thank you. Bye. All right. And you're just like, oh, okay. I guess I just got screwed over, but thank you. That's awesome. Yeah. That. Uh, uh, also, I wanted to ask, uh, was this yes. our first uh, faction repeat victory or am I wrong? What was the first one? I think I think Necro was our first. Oh, yeah. I think you're right. Yeah. Necro was the this first. Was, but this, this is the second, second repeat yes, of a faction Yes, this is our second win. L1 win, which is the second time any faction has won two games. Which is crazy. Yeah, so. very very high diversity. So we've Hunter, had... run me through game twelve. We've All got right, two more to go. Yeah, game twelve. Uh, game twelve was uh, super fun. Uh, one one of one of the more interesting ones, I would say. Um, yeah. So we had Revel Doubt uh, playing a Sardak in Fast and Cultured. We had Madman Quail playing as Mentak in Big and Tight. We had Zap playing as L One Z One X in Darien Slice. We had Overmind playing Extra in Dangerous Diplo. We have Dev playing as Yin in Slice of the Gashlai. And we had Unaligned Magi playing as Necro in Little and Tight. I was and, sad to not be in this one because Unaligned Magi talks a big game with Necrovirus. Uh huh. He's very uh, open with there being his favorite faction and like he's got a game plan with them. So I, I, this is the other game I kind of want to watch. Yeah, uh, I, I mean, I would definitely say this this one is up there for me. Um, it was it was a very uh, interesting game. I would say the the main thing to note at the beginning, uh, just right off the bat, is Magi gets takes trade uh-huh. for the first four rounds in a row. Four rounds of trade, which is, I mean, it's like he, it's interesting because it made me realize some stuff about Necro, honestly. Um, because what I realized is that Necro, if they're planning, um, if they're planning everything outright, um, they can get ahead a in like every single economy of the game. Right. Um, if you're being smart about when you're choosing to attack people, you're getting tech um, faster and for less money. If you're doing right, it right, than anybody else? Um, right. Yeah, than anybody else. Uh, you have a command counter advantage in that there are two strategy cards that you can use in right. order to get command counter. So you're ahead in that economy as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you take trade the first four rounds, you kind of just get ahead in all the numbers in the game. <laughs> you uh, just have every number bigger than everybody yeah, else. Yeah, the numbers were just kind of bigger than everybody else's <laughs> numbers, you know? Plastic, trade hey, goods. Yeah. I, I have a big question. Uh-huh. What happened after Magi took trade four times in a row and had a huge stockpile of uh, of trade goods what did what did the well, necrovirus so, do so, so you did hear me when i said mentac was in the game mm-hmm. uh, so yeah, what i did that, hear you what's yeah. important about that I don't well understand. so what's important about that is that he was able to get mirror computing oh, um, good yeah so it was it was necro with uh, super dread 2 that they had gotten off l1 and then mirror com- computing uh which was in a lot of ways, the second he picked it up, I was just kind of like, well... That's the game. That's kind of the game. Um, <laughs> People like to talk about Necro, like, super combos and stuff and, 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 like, weird tricks you can do. But when you can just get, like, two of the best faction techs in the game... Yeah, no, it doesn't They don't act- need to work together in any meaningful way. Yeah. Just, like, get the two best ones and then do well. In fact, who cares about the cute stuff? Dude, just right. get mirror computing. Like, right. just be... 
Necro with mirror computing. Uh, yeah, it was uh, very good. It was a lot of really uh, fantastic play. Let's talk. Let's. I want to talk about some of the other players a little bit. Make sure, sure, I, sure. I get all around. Uh, Madman Quail actually also had a really good game as Mintech. He was doing a very, very good job. Of, this is gonna sound like a weird compliment, uh, but. Uh, I don't know. I, you just had to be there. Uh, he did a very good job of remembering to pillage people, um, <laughs> which kind of sounds like I'm just saying like, oh, that boy's got a good memory on him. No. Uh, what I mean is that there were so many times that Madman Quail would do just the the most Mentac thing, which would be to just sit and listen to some people really negotiate for a long time, uh, having like what was maybe even a little bit of a petty discussion about uh-huh. one trade good. Right. And then they would resolve that deal, and Mentac would just be like, "All right, and I'll go ahead and take that trade good now." Um, <laughs> he was very good at that, uh, and and did a very good job of amassing a lot of trade goods himself, in spite of the fact that obviously he did not get any early game trade. trade. Yeah, um, but yeah, did a really good job of pillaging frequently, uh, having a lot of adjacency, and um, and also just accruing those trade goods and kind of hoarding them the way that you were talking about in that last sure. game. Um, that people were hoarding them. He did do something really wild early game. Um, his neighbor was L1 in Darien Slice. Um, mm-hmm. And if you have the map just perfectly memorized in your head, like I expect you <laughs> all do at this point, <laughs> you would remember that there's a gravity rift in be- in the equidistant yes. spot between those two. Um, so L1, uh, their plan clearly early on was like, going to get to Mechatol, going to be a Mechatol L1 play. That's what they were going mm. for. Um, okay. They had Dreadnoughts uh, sitting on, what is it, Thibba or Wellen? I forget which one. Uh, Wellen. Yeah, Wellen, right right south of uh, of Mechatol. So in the in-between, uh, that, uh, what is that, what is that space? I don't even remember. It doesn't matter. The point is it was empty, and it had a space dock there. Arnor Lore? Arnor Lore. Good job, yeah. Matt. Um, Thank you. So it's empty. And there's a space dock. And in that moment, what when it was empty, after L1 had fully committed to like, I'm going for Mechatol, Mentac rifted, rifted, and this is like round two they rifted, yeah. um, and made it through and took, um, destroyed one of L1's space docks yeah. uh, and took two planets from L1. And it's effectively wow. split the L1 very early. Yeah. Before, yeah. yeah. And they, L1 only really had the fleet that was going for Mechatol. Right. Um, so that was that was rough. Um, did 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 L one continue forward with Mechatol, or did did they have to completely turn around? Well, I think they. I mean, they were having to make a really tough call early on, which is like, what yeah. do I do? Do I do I turn around and uh, rebuild my slice, or yeah, do I commit? Um, they chose to commit, but were not able to lock down any Mechatol Rex points mm, um, before sucks. having to to give it up, uh, which is rough. I don't. You, you never you never want to see that. Um, right. They did eventually get their slice back online, and they kind of started to make a little bit of the comeback. I believe they were like sort of in the pack. I think they were just shy of like all the tied for yeah. second place people. Okay. Um, but yeah, their their game in a lot of ways changed uh, a lot uh, after that. Um, next, I want to talk about uh, Extra. Uh, Extra's strategy was to play a pretty standard defensive Extra, uh, right. build the flagship, so- get PDS. Um, However, I feel like they they made one kind of I don't know it, it depends on how they how they thought about it but uh, they did not have PDS two for the longest time for the yeah. longest time so the the flagship was kind of the only um, defensive option that they had uh, they they had done a lot of uh, really solid they were a very friendly player 
um, mm-hmm. and tried to keep things pretty even keeled and made a lot of, uh, they did make some, some swapping planet uh, type deals. Uh, uh-huh. And they were actually able to expand a lot of territory, but they weren't able to, to keep it or really threaten too much. They did pull a late game play of moving the flagship into the nebula, which yeah. is always really juicy, um, which is another thing that was rough for L1. L1 had a rough go of it. Yeah. Um, I, you know, you've got extra on one side, so it's like, well, not really getting a lot of headway going there. Um, right. And then Mentak uh, successfully gutting you halfway through. Uh, yeah. It was it was rough. rough. It was rough. Really rough. Um, but yeah, extra overall played played very defensive. I would say played a little too defensive. I think that flagship extra really does is what it yeah. sounds like. They it's did just the, like they the did standard, the extra thing. You're never gonna touch my stuff, but I never. I never went and got stuff that I needed either. You really got to get that, that the space cannon really does need to have uh Mechatol Rex in its crosshairs. Otherwise yeah. it's like, it kind of feels like, well, how, mu- how much good it? is this really doing me? But I will say this, like, I mean, if, if they had had to deal with extra late game, uh, it would have been nigh impossible, but yeah. you know, that's extra. Yeah. Um, Yin had a very juicy game. Uh, Yin was playing in Slice of the Gashlight, and they uh, they spread themselves very thin as far as ships go, but they were making the most out of indoctrination. Um, yeah. They got plenty of Mechatol Rex points. They were kind of our... they Basically, the way Mechatol Rex played out in this game was that Sardak grabbed it early, uh, lost it pretty quickly. L1 mm-hmm. lived there for a lot of the mid-game, but was not able to get the points together. Right. Eventually had to abandon it, and then Yin jumped down. Um, Yin, however, um, that all being said, they, they were able to score a lot of points, and there was a portion of the game where it felt like Yin was going to win. Mm. Um, but they did not have the ships to protect them. So that basically. keeps happening with Yin. Yeah, I feel like is they're not they're not building the ships whenever that opportunity is. Uh, did they build the Van Hog? Never. Okay. I, See that to me, that's usually the Achilles' heel of a Yin. Mm-hmm. You you spend one round building the Van Hog instead of any other ships to get your ground forces places. Right. And it's the same problem as the extra. It's just way too defensive. So to hear that he didn't do it, that, I mean, that, that even more sucks, but I feel like in most of the games I've seen the Yin end up with no ships in the late game. It's because the only ship they have on the board is the Van Hog because well, they spent all their money on it. I want to be a, I want to be a faithful witness to devs yeah. play right now. Um, because I will say that, that, that they played very well, uh, considering that they had the, the, in my opinion, uh, worst dice luck, uh, that oh, I've yeah. seen in the tournament thus far. It was it was ridiculous. Mm. I mean, like, if we could comb through it and just have, like, a miss counter of times right. that that he rolled dice and missed, yeah. I mean, it was insane. Um, and, sucks. and you know, everybody, like, it, we talked about it a lot while the game was going, and it was just, it was really crazy. But it was, it, was, it was insane that they were able to get as much done with how bad a lot of the game went for <laughs> Yin. Uh, Yin's home system was blockaded, for a large portion of the game, I would say like the second Ow. half, uh, it was it was blockaded by uh, unaligned magi, necro. Um, so I'm trying to avoid talking about necro uh, at this point. I want to try and get everything in yeah, with you everybody, want to get else. everybody else. But in. but sure. necro is a player in this story, um, and all you really need to know is that necro moved in on uh, the home system while it was vulnerable, when there wasn't enough fleet there, and effectively locked Yin out of a, basically having many options going on into the late game. Uh huh. Um, Yin had done so well on the ground, though, that he was still a threat. And actually, they spent a lot of the late game trying to figure out if Yin could accomplish a secret objective, because if they could, they would have won. Um, oh, wow. Little did, did, I mean, I knew, of course, that he that 
he couldn't, he couldn't do, do it, it in the current board state. Yeah. But man, I've, yeah, you're gonna hear about how game 13 was so similar. But keep right, going. right. <laughs> uh, so last uh, last person I want to uh, check in with before I talk about uh, Magi's necro play uh, more is uh, Sardak Nor. Uh, Sardak Nor went with a very specific uh, logic, which was to kind of double down on uh, fighter screens. Uh, I believe mm. he got he got fighter two, he got infantry two. I believe by the end of it. Which we're uh, generally a fan of. Yeah, yes. Uh, Statistical he did, he did advantage a lot of in the fighter screen. Yes. Math-wise, he was t- so right. Um, but the problem is that his neighbor was was Necro in uh, in big, or in, uh, sorry, in little and tight. Mm-hmm. Um, I always get those mixed around. I wonder why. Yeah. What could it be? Um, <laughs> uh, and, and he was able to get the first Mechatol point, which is, which is worthwhile. Uh, but I think he was so um, into... Uh, having carrier two and having lots of fighters that I felt like that wasn't really the way this game was going to shake out. Um, yeah. Necro was really a force that needed to be dealt with. He was so ahead uh, just numbers wise with plastic. Um, and it was like, it was good plastic it was dreadnought twos. You know, they were, yeah. they had that capacity too, and they were making a lot of uh, effectiveness out of it. Um, and also, one thing that Sardak I feel like could have done was was gummed up the works a little bit with their fighter twos that never really panned out. Um, yeah. In fact, so let's just go ahead and start talking about Necro because basically what happened was <laughs> Necro was able uh, because of how how it didn't feel like Necro had this huge fleet, but they had lots of ships in every system. Um, basically, that they were they were. They had taken planets from both of their neighbors. They were literally blockading one of their neighbors' space docks. And then in uh, Sardak Slice, they had taken a lot of the planets. <laughs> so wow. going into the late game, it was like Necro was very uh, fearsome. Um, and uh, in fact, uh, it was going to be one of those games where they were the speaker. They were going into the final round. And if they could get Imperial, it would end on their first turn. Uh, I don't even remember the objective that they needed to accomplish, but it was like already accomplished. It was like the unit upgrades one or something like that. So yeah, it was yeah. it was just done. It was done. Um, so essentially, the way it played out is none of them had a public disgrace, but they were all talking about how much they needed a public disgrace. Yeah. And then the agenda came out that was, if you vote for, everyone draws two action cards. Oh, and of no. course, Necro can't even vote. So they all voted for and they let it pass and they did get a public disgrace. So then we did do. actually have to go through the round, um, yeah. but that it was it was just not enough. There was there was nothing you could do at that point. I don't even remember. I think I think Magi took uh, leadership for the highest initiative, um, mm-hmm. and then just played it out and just had that flagship parked in the home system with I mean as many boys as you could imagine. Right. Um, that that many that much uh, statistics or just numbers advantage would get you, and yeah. uh, it was it was a completely solid win with yeah. no wiggle room basically for anybody right. else. Now, right. if, if things had played out a little bit better for Yin, uh, then maybe it would have been different. But um, I will say that uh, Magi taught me, I would say, to, to really um, be wary about Necro getting ahead when it comes to just sheer amount of plastic and trade goods. Yeah, yeah. So there we go. That's game 12. Game 12. Well, let's do game 13. Uh, game 13 is actually going to be fairly fast to sum up because it's it's a hard game to talk about because this was our quietest game mm-hmm. so far. Uh, just like 
these players were just absolutely silent for so much of the game for the entirety of the draft was very silent. There was like a couple attempts to like, do you guys want to talk about uh, what we're going to do? No, anyone no. want to talk no. about what? Okay. No. All right. Okay, cool. And then that just defined the first like three rounds is like, all right, we're just going to completely be silent forever. Um, let's go through it. Uh, we have Tyler as the uh, yin in Slice of the Gashly. So our, these Whoa, games hey. were, were <laughs> next to each other. Game 12 and game 13 were at the same time and both yins in Slice of the Gashly. We had Green Flame in Little and Tight as Hakan. Uh, only our like second Hakan game of the tournament. People avoid them just because it's annoying to have them in the game. But it's like it's a good middle faction. Like right. it should be getting right. in games, but just nobody wants to have to deal with how much I mean, longer Hakan's going to make it. It's a good take. middle faction, and like we're uh, there are even some people that think that they're a good like A or S tier faction. Yeah, so absolutely. yeah, like it's it's yeah. Uh, Rob was Necro in Fast and Cultured. Nikolai was Barony in Big and Tight. Uh, Matt Waters was uh, MB Waters was a the L one Z one X in. Darian Slice. If you watch the recording, I think we called him Joe the whole game because he said he didn't want to be conf- he didn't want everyone to keep calling me Matt and him Matt, and his his screen name just happened to be Joe. So that's that's L one Z one X, and then Lionel is the Isarl in Dangerous Diplo. Ah, uh, back yet to, again. Back to what back we know. The old standard. Yeah. <laughs> um, big thing. This one, round one, Diplo got picked. Ew. Nobody mis- nobody misplayed it. Perfect round from everyone, despite Mm -hmm. a Diplo pick. Like everybody, I think there was a moment where Barony said, "Ah, man, I I I misspent one of my command counters or whatever." Like I wish I had done something slightly different, but he he was fine, right? And and everybody else like did exactly what they wanted to do for the round. Uh, It was it was like a seamless Diplo round one, Mm -hmm. Um, but it was very quiet and everyone's uh, there's a lot of trading. Like when people talk. They're getting business done in this game. It's right, just like, okay, right. let's all... Lots of everyone's getting replenished. Uh, lots of like, you'll owe me one trade good in the agenda phase, which people made true. Like, it's just like everything was working and everyone filled out their slices and they were all just basically playing pretty efficient. There was a weird situation where the Yin Brotherhood uh, wanted to take Abyss Freya from Hakan. Uh, I think the end goal was to have four hazardous planets because one of the early agendas was four of the same trait. Um, he made a deal with Hakan. I don't even know like what was swapped between them, um, but Hakan let him take Abyss Freya from his little and tight slice, wow. which little and tight Abyss Freya is like all of the resources of mm-hmm. that slice. Mm-hmm. It's Hakan, right? So you're you're in your head. You're kind of like, well, I can make my money elsewhere. But still, he completely gave up Abyss Freya with the agreement that Yin would like leave the next round or whatever. Um, and very early on, Yin and Necro did a support for the throne swap. So um, everybody's kind of crawling ahead, kind of at the same pace. Um, really fun thing that happened, though, is the Isarl tribes got Minister of Commerce. And the round after they got it, they had just so happened to have just sent like a ship just way over through a wormhole to the other side of the map. So the first time they, they took trade immediately and they got five trade goods off of Minister of Commerce wow. uh, and then did a lot of trading. They ended up getting trade the next round, too. Um, so Asarl made like so much money. They made 18 trade goods in two rounds. Dang. Um, wow. Just off of Minister of Commerce taking trade and making like good deals. It was it was amazing. Uh, Hakan was also stockpiling a lot. Hakan was interesting in this game because he was 
this was a quiet game. He was not getting in on stuff. He was not offering up action cards that often. Mm -hmm. He wasn't even like trying to maneuver deals. Half the time, I feel like people just came to him with a deal and he was like, oh, okay, yeah, I'll do that. There were multiple rounds where trade would get played. He wouldn't get rid of a single commodity and he would find a way to to sell the commodities off later. Uh, there, I think there was one time where he had like four commodities sitting on his round on his sheet when trade got played the next time. Like he just was not trading that much, but he was. People were coming to him anyways because he's a con. Right. So he 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 was still sitting on a decent bankroll. Um, uh, Hakan takes Mechatol Rex and scores two points off of it. Uh, so so has Imperial and gets the point for taking Mechatol. Nice. Um, by the mid game, Hakan only had one objective scored and was tied for the lead at like four or five points or whatever. Oh, you love like, to see that. You, you love it. Cause it's just like, Oh, I have, I have all the room in the world to do whatever I want. He was still kind of in the situation of like, when am I going to get a biz Freya back? But like, I have plenty of options for points going forward. You know, one, one Imperial play and he could just like have a huge swing or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, what what I really hated to see, uh, Asaro made these this huge bankroll um, and built his flagship twice. <laughs> he built his flagship once, sent it into a kind of ill-advised attack and lost it and then immediately rebuilt it. So out of the 18 trade goods that he made, he spent 16 of them on his flagship oh, bummer. which That's was a- which was really sad i would have loved to have seen him be able to do more with those trade goods and, and bank them for the late game which i think could have actually done a lot for his late game he even still had a lot of trade goods in like the final round um but what we were slowly gearing up to was uh, a first stage two public objective that was you know nigh unscorable it was 11 planets outside your home system so then it all came down to what's the second stage two going to be and that was 16 resources um what happened in like round five is everybody was convinced that Yin Brotherhood was going to win the game in round five. And everyone would start pointing their, their triggers at Yin and talking about Yin so much when Necro had like the clearest path in the world, to, to me at least, as like the I can see everything viewer. But like Yin didn't have a chance. For, for two or three rounds, Yin had almost no ships, and none of the objectives were available to them. And this was a situation where I felt like nobody was looking at win, what Yin's actual path was and was just looking at his placement on the scoreboard and being afraid of him. Mm-hmm. But like it felt like nobody was counting out, like, what where do you think he's going to score his points from? Versus if you look at Necro and you look at Hakan, there's all the options in the world. You need to start you know pointing directions towards them. Um, so Hakan was kind of slowly doing all these backseat deals with Necro to try to stop Yin and kind of making some extra money, but also having to sacrifice fleets in the direction away from points that he could have been scoring. Um, so I was getting really afraid for Hakan's chances just because like he sent four dreadnoughts at Yin for no gain for himself mm-hmm. when Yin also had nothing to lose. Like there was there, there was nothing that was going to happen to the Yin. Um, so it was this really awkward late game where Necro was just trying to solidify their position and doing everything he could to get everyone looking at Yin and pointing at Yin. And like he was, wow. he was, he was taking, he took, I think th- at least three of the players into secret conversations. He was constantly going into secret conversations and trying to coordinate attacks onto Yin. And it seemed like he was going to win it just because of how much maneuvering he was getting everyone else to do on his behalf while completely ignoring his board position. That is so similar to game 12. Like, yes. they were all very afraid of Yin winning, whereas the <laughs> whole time I'm just looking at Magi playing his Necro, just being like, well, all right. Here we go. Let's, let's yeah. pack it up. 
Um, there was a really awkward position uh, round five where Hakan wanted to blockade Necro's home world space dock, but gave him a support for the throne to do it. And then as soon as he gave him the support for the throne, part of the deal was that uh, Necro would still build ground forces on his planet, but then they realized after doing the trade that he could no longer activate his home world because that would make him lose the point. And there was like a really long discussion about what to do about this support for the throne thing. Uh, basically, Necro wanted to be able to activate it and get his support for the throne back immediately. And this is when the rest of the table finally started being like, you can't. You just need to screw him over. Like, if he mm-hmm. activates that system, never give him his support for the throne back. Because he'll win if you give him the support for the throne. So Necro made kind of the right call, which is just like, well, I guess I'm just not building ground forces. I'm right. just going to see what right. I can do and keep the point and and hope for the best next round. Um, Yin got to use political stability on Imperial, which didn't help the, the the board state thinking he had a chance at winning, but really all Yin was doing was blocking anyone else from having access to Imperial. Mm-hmm. Um, and so in the final round, Hakan gets diplomacy, has incredibly easy access to 16 resources. He had 13 trade goods and had production biomes, so just had to activate oh, production wow. biomes for four more <laughs> trade goods. He could lose like every planet outside He could the lose every system. single thing, not lose a, and, and he had a huge he he did a really smart thing. Actually, I forgot to talk about this. He built a second space dock on his homeworld, but not a third. But just the two was enough. He eventually also got to get transit diodes, which was convenient and really great for Hakan, mm-hmm. um, which I kind of, it turned me around on like, you should just try to get transit diodes as Hakan because because of your home system problem. But right. even two space stocks is enough to always be putting two down. And then you know how every once in a while you need to do like an awkward maneuver of like, let me move some ground forces. The normal problem with Hakan is I only have one space stock. All my ground forces are one planet and I need to spread them out to the other two. This way he was able to always be building up on two planets and then like one time move some some ground forces to that third planet. Right. Um, so his home system, it was the best defended Hakan home system I've ever seen. In terms of, like, ground forces on planets. He didn't have a ton in fleet, but it was, like, a situation where it's, like, you wouldn't be able to take any of his planets. There are too many ground forces there, and he's Hakan. That's a really good case for transit diodes. Yeah, Um, it was very, very impressive to see him use it to that effect. Did he ever take construction, or did he just secondary... Like, did he have any PDS? Do you remember? Um, I think he did take a construction early on. Uh, okay. I forget exactly, but I, I believe he did need to to take construction at least once. Let's see. I'm looking real quick. He, yeah, second round was construction. I him. see. That makes sense. So, so I think that space lock went down in his home system round two. Um, but anyways, um, so basically, Hakan just needs to wait till the end of the round and needs nothing else to happen. Um, Necro had kind of a long shot. Necro ended up taking warfare instead of like a low initiative. Um, just because of how much maneuvering he kind of needed to pull off. Um, but the game was his if it wasn't going to be Hakan's. The interesting thing, though, um, and even more proof to how smart this Hakan player was, is Isarl had leadership. So we have to start looking at Isarl. Does Isarl have a chance to right, win? Right. And Isarl had an incredibly specific chance to win. Um, Isarl needed to stall everybody out. Uh, and then he needed to go through the beta wormhole to take star point from barony. Um, then he would need to play mining initiative to gain three trade goods. Then he would need to play industrial initiative to gain one trade good from the new industrial planet of star point. Uh, and that would give him a, his fourth industrial planet for the secret and enough resources to spend the amount of resources he needed. Um, but the other thing he, Oh no, he didn't need four industrial. He needed four hazardous. So mm-hmm. he needed to take star point and new Albion. 
in my view. He actually ended up getting a trade good somewhere else. Oh, because of his because of his um Minister of Commerce. He gained an extra trade good. So he no longer needed New Albion. This is where I'm messing up the story. But he right. did still need Starpoint because he needs the hazardous planet. He needed four hazardous planets. Right, right. Um, but what was brilliant is he's setting up for this and he's taking his time, and then Hakan just notices it. With with nothing being said, Hakan sends his like last fleet left to more or less empty Barragler to four and takes both planets, and that completely ruined any long shot chance that Sorrel had. Wow. Um, and and there was no other reason to do that attack. It was just like, and actually, what he ended up saying was he just knew Sorrel needed resources, so he was trying to take whatever resources he could away from him. But taking the hazardous planets is what completely ruined Sorrel's chances. And uh, secured a victory for Hakan. So yeah. just like a really aware Hakan that didn't need to do annoying long deals and interrupt every single step of the process. He just like made his money where it mattered and played really smart and and like was honorable. Like, you know, the, the whole losing Abyss Freya for like the first two or three rounds of the game, he eventually got it back and there were no there were no bad feelings and he came out ahead up with it. So awesome. really, really solid Hakan play. I was I was very into it. Okay, cool. Well, now we just got to cover games 15 to 28. Hope you guys <laughs> Here we go. Have, have buckled your seatbelts. No, that's it. That's all the games we have to fill you that's in on games. today. We did um, There will be more. We will talk about more games. You Five will see more. more games on YouTube. Hopefully, you'll see some of these games on YouTube. Yep. Um, I know I've, I've got an MP4 of a game, and I don't <laughs> normally say that, and I'm not happy about it. <laughs> Hunter's got to do tech. Work. I might have to edit a game. Man, I don't want to do that. Ugh. Oh, that's not what I'm good for. <clears throat> well, wow, we just talked a lot of Twilight Imperium. We talked a lot of Twilight Imperium. Let's uh let's let's get let's get our butts our keisters on down to the errata right now because right now. Daddy's hungry and <laughs> uh, no, like in real life I'm hungry. I haven't eaten I in know. a minute. It's a, it's way past my din din time and I ain't had my din din yet. So here we go, cow pokes. So let's start with the uh, the, uh, the here's the errata. Um, mm-hmm. We've got uh, we've got a lot to talk about. Um, I've got a really uh, I've got a really interesting. We've actually got yeah we've got a lot of errata from last week's episode, which of course yeah. was action cards part two. Mm-hmm. The uh, for sure list. ever and always number one best mm-hmm. list uh, mm-hmm. from top to bottom of all the action cards ranked. Um, this first one's really interesting. It's from uh, Gruner Adler. Um, they say nailed it. Mm-hmm. Okay. Oh, good. That's good. Yeah. Uh, got another one. This one is from uh, Sad Panda, uh, and it says nailed it. Thank you, um, Sad Panda. Let's see. Got some more. Uh, this one. Oh, really interesting point that Carl II made. I really, I really dig this one. He says uh, nailed it. Um, <laughs> got some kind of differing opinions from Ska Baron. Uh, what they did he say? Uh, he said uh, nailed it. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> uh, f- I believe somewhere in here there's a snailed it, if I remember right. Well, uh, well, let's. I mean, let's just let, let's just go through them. Well, there's a just lot. And sorry, yeah. it's a lot of interesting. It was Scott Baron that said snailed it. So oh, I just snailed to make sure I it. Out, uh, yeah. yeah, sorry. So they kind of they kind of they kind of twisted. Twist. Uh, Foran, uh had a really interesting call, which was nailed it. Uh, Breford kind of came in too, also with kind of their opinion, yes. uh, which was, was that? which was shocking. We they, they were like nailed it. Um, <laughs> Revel Doubt, uh, they were like, yo, hey, uh, nailed it. Um, ADM Paleon, ADM Paleon, 
um, wanted me to mention special on the show, actually, uh, that we nailed it. Uh, Buckley's Chance uh, kind of came in hot with this, like, this really wild take, which was nailed it. Arvid said we nailed it. Unaligned Magi, who uh, just won a game as Necro and is an official semifinalist right. and right. might even be official Necro, like, emissary in general, just kind of like general idea of what that is. Uh, right. He said we nailed it. So that yep. means that we definitely nailed it. Uh, Farganess wanted to kind of whispered to me uh, and actually wrote it down on a little sheet of paper and I'm reading it now. I'm opening it live. Okay, uh, actually, I got great. this piece of mail from Farganess. Uh, it says nailed it. War Sun Tzu. Thank you for that that late foley. War Sun Tzu, um, who wrote The Art of War Sun, uh, <laughs> said that we nailed it. Uh Robofish uh, said we nailed Robofish it. Had, oh, good. Said we nailed it. Uh, Laura wanted to mention that uh, Matt, you nailed it. Oh, you Laura, na- thank you. You bleeping, F-word. you bleeping nailed it. Your list was objectively and obviously correct. Everyone else here who disagrees is trash at the game and probably hasn't even scored a point before. Which is kind of that's a. I mean, surely everybody scored a point. You know what I mean? Kind of hard to, yeah. Well, it's hard to play without having. If they don't think we nailed it, then they probably didn't. Yeah. Um. But yeah. So uh, that's it. Good night, that's everybody. It. Good night, good night and so good luck. Thank you so much for joining us on Space Cats Peace Turtles. Turns out we nailed it. Turns out. Uh. Wait. Wait. Actually, I just kind of scrolled down, and There's not I'm more. Uh. Actually, I'm seeing a lot of other comments. Uh. Oh. So. Hmm. Uh, it just feels like it's late in the day and like the episode's already been kind of, it was like a three hour episode already. Yeah. Well, let's just be fair and just okay, kind of fine. entertain some of these other ideas. Okay, fine. Um, fine. But we, I let's, did. Let's preface it. Are we going to yeah, preface it? Yeah. So we did nail it, but also yes. in addition to nailing it, there's mm-hmm. also this. So okay. Empson writes, there should be another action card rating that is more about what cards are best for making good stories. Like Kraken's stab that space goblin in the face, the infamous, the infamous burning dread valiantly destroys barony flagship to lonely fighter in asteroid field signal jams, huge L one Z one X fleet. I love that last one. That's a great yeah. image of just this one fighter. Um, yeah. So uh, I want to talk a little bit of our rating system in general, uh, was, well, first of all, we nailed it. But also, yes. yeah. the rating system was a little bit all over the place. I mean, it we shot from the hip Yeah, a I have lot. a theory on why it was all over the place, and I think it's partially because we were making it up as we went. Yeah, interesting. Was, you, was that a fair... No, no, we we built it before based off... We, we did cr- build we, it before. We did crunch the... Well, but we crunched the numbers. We crunched and, every number that there is to crunch. And we did hire that think tank, but uh, beyond that, it was all just original ideas. Um, right. No, there were... The the rating system was there were so many factors that we were throwing at different cards uh, that it was very much all over the place. Um, like I said in the episode, a tier list would have been more useful, but that already existed. So we went with we went with what we went with. Um, read the next one, Matt. What's the, what's the next? Yeah, piece online of magi says uh, who who, who also wait, the, who said we nailed it already? Yeah, so I don't know why they also covered said this. that we nailed it, but I guess he has to bring this up. 
Uh, you mentioned card advantage is a magic term. Uh, limited resources is a magic podcast that rates magic cards. Each time the set comes out, they use the ratings of general versus situational, which I think is really good. For example, veto is generally good and it's situationally amazing. Whereas lucky shot is generally terrible and situationally good in uh, Magi's opinion. Um, you guys talk on the edge of that, but I found that rating system really useful. And I think we did, without defining it as such, that is certainly where our heads went. And I think we prioritized the situationally amazing, right? Yes, yes. We, we, we are much more, we rank higher when something is situationally going to win you the game. Or, you know, th those are the kind of things we constantly described as something we were very, very into is um, generally, we found situationally amazing to be better than generally good. Right. I think if you organized our list by like tens, if you just took them out 10 at uh -huh. a time uh, and was just like, all right, so here's all these 10 together, um, that would probably be the trend in general. It's like if you right. take each 10 and we're like, this is a tier list, um, you could just see like, well, obviously these cards are all probably in about the same kind of zone. Right. Yeah. But the ones that we're going to give the top of, the, of each tier would always be based on does it frequently get used in a specific situation that mm -hmm. would decide whether you win or lose right. the whole game, yeah. basically. We're very into that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think I think that would have been, uh, I mean, it would have been awesome if we had like super organized it and had like general versus situational yeah. uh, be like the number one thing. But I don't know, I, we didn't. But we also nailed it. Um, we also did all the math. So. Zendog writes, uh, for the new players, I would mention that Ghost Ship can be placed in the Delta Wormhole next to the Krius home system. Maneuvering Jets is good for landing troops as well. That's true. We did not mention that. We then. didn't mention that, and that's a way... There were people who were, like, upset with how high Maneuvering Jets was for us, and we didn't give this as the argument, but this is part of why Maneuvering Jets is is better, is right. that it's the PDS... When you need to invade through a PD, PDS, it is it is a big deal, and Maneuvering Jets is a huge uh, factor. Yeah, it's a bummer that we didn't bring that up, because I, I, I do feel like that is probably the strongest case for it. Yeah. Um but uh, direct hit plus PDS does not equal turn their fleets to dust. Also, direct hit is the bane of Muat. Um, I'm not sure exactly what he means by that. P like, it's not autom an automatic thing, but if I had PDS and a direct hit, I would definitely be helpful in getting turn their fleets to dust. Right, right but you, can't, you cannot use direct hit as the final hit. Oh, I didn't know that. I'm learning. There's that actually right now. a really annoying, disgusting, gross ruling about like how far this whole thing goes, and I don't even know if I want to get into it. I'll get into it a little bit. Um, if you have a carrier, no. Uh, well, let's let's say it's soul. I could have used Morrison as an example, but I'm not gonna. Let's say your soul with carrier two. Mm -hmm. and they have sustained damage, and you've got a fighter on that carrier. If, uh, if I assign a hit to my carrier and then direct hit it, let's say, you, let's say you, Hunter, scored two hits with PDS. Yeah. So I assign one hit from that PDS to my carrier first for some reason because I'm just like, eh, I'm going to sustain damage. And then you play that direct hit. Um, I'm getting, I'm actually, I'm telling the story messed up. But the point being, if the direct hit kills the carrier, which then in turn makes the fighter die because there's no more capacity. Even if you could have had a hit that would have turned the fleets to dust because you could have assigned it to that fighter, because the carrier died first, you cannot score turn their fleets to dust. 
Ew. Isn't that Are like you the dumbest? Serious? This is this dumb board game that we play. So this is why I don't go to the rules channel. Uh, and wow. I hate it. And then I do go there and I hate myself. That's uh, so Chief? crazy though, because it's like the you know the intent is for PDS right. to destroy to, all the ships. Right. As if there were ships and then there were no more ships and it was because of PDS, you should you should get that point. But whatever. Technicalities. Chief Butters says, so three out of five times, uh, there was like, this is actually a long post by Chief Butters, and we're kind of condensing it down to get to the nugget. Um, they're talking about our um, love of politics writer, um, and they make the case that uh, there's actually not as many instances as we said where politics writer benefits the whole table. More often than not, actually, um, three out of five times, um, Politics writer automatically forms a coalition against you on top of the fact that people don't want you getting three action cards. He, he means in, in terms of where their position where will be. House relation. speaker token. Because that was a big right. case that we made. We said the speaker token is going to move. And I believe I said something along the lines of most of the time it moves where enough people are voting along with you because it gets them closer in speaker order. Right. And they laid out a pretty good case of why really only two out of six times is it ever that being the case. Right, right. Um, here's the thing, though. Uh, the Well, for me, personally, I didn't even really think of it that way. Because yeah. oftentimes, when I see politics, politics writer getting used, the point is to get speaker token away from someone. That's basically yeah. all that it is about. And in that way, it almost always forms a coalition, even if uh, it means that some players are going to have a worse position speaker order-wise. Right. Um, a lot of winning the game has to do with who has the speaker token when we're going into the final round. Right. Meaning right. that politics writer will basically always, every single game, have a window of opportunity to be used. Or if you are perhaps that person that already has a speaker, speaker token, uh, like good thing that can't be used against you. If right. I can pretty reliably be like, well... I got politics writer, which means that at some point somebody's going to have the speaker token and they're going to be dangerous. So I will be able to play it and make the case that I should be the new speaker so as to save the table. And that way, th that's what I felt when it came to coalition. Um, and then, so, so you take that point and mm -hmm. then that augments the two out of six. So there's already, so what we're saying is that there are people that are probably going to want um, somebody else to get the speaker token out of the normal order of things right. based on just actually not losing the game to somebody and right. then also based on them getting a better uh, speaker right. position. And Two people will get a better speaker position. One person will get a worse speaker position, but somebody that is going to definitely win won't win the game. Yeah. Also, people accomplish writers all the time that don't get anybody else anything. So, right. I mean, like, if... if <laughs> If politics writer has a really good chance that there's like pretty pretty normally going to be somebody else that might want you to get it, that right. is a much uh, that's a lot that's much more of a boon than any of the other writers right. that essentially just give one player one thing. You know what I think is a part what this reveals is part of an issue with some of our tier list, which is some of our cards are ranked high because we expect you to play them very optimally yes it would be, it would be like if we are judging we are judging mining initiative off of the idea that mining initiative is probably going to get you three trade goods because you're going to play it on something like barrig or Starpoint. right um we are not really judging mining initiative off of it's going to get you one trade good because that is a bad stupid way to play mining initiative you would not do that Right. Um, so we're judging the cards off of a little bit more their upper capacity. So yeah, there's a lot of instances where political or politics writer is like not gonna probably work, 
well, we're not going to play it then. Mm-hmm. Um, and I agree that we made the argument that there are lots of instances where it is good to play it, but I guess we're just putting the blinders on a little bit more to the instances where it's n- not a good idea to play it. You're just not going to do that. And so you have to ignore that. The card, the card's not worse because there are terrible times to play it. I, I, I think the way I would put it in the end is I think politics writer is a situational card and that situation is very likely in my opinion. Yeah. There, right. Every game I play, there is a point where if we could just move that dang speaker yep. token, if that if so and so didn't deal. have it, and then that person could take Imperial instead of them or right. what have you, there are so many times where that fundamentally changes the flow of how the game is going to right. play out. Politics writers should be held on to the same way that public disgrace and political stability are held on to. Right. Public disgrace is great because you play it on the final round. You don't use public disgrace round two. Right. That is bad. You use it at the end. You use po- politics writer closer to the end of the game. Sure. Probably the round leading to the last round. Yeah. Um, here's one from Brian the Bodacious. Uh, this is this is this is these are just some fun little combos to think about. Th- these are not th- this isn't like an in-depth errata, but I wanted to bring these up because they're fun. Uh, here's some broken combos um, out of action cards. So action cards that 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 come together to do really crazy things. Uh, speaking of politics writer, if you play politics writer for an agenda, and then you also have an imperial writer, and you play that against. Well, I've seen that. I've probably seen I've, that more than I've, once. Yeah, I definitely have, and it's that is. Yeah, it sucks. It sucks. It, it goes from being like, oh, we got to stop this politics writer to like, OK, well, the agenda just became the agenda again. And we have to just ignore mm-hmm. what's happening here. Right. Uh, another right. broken combo. Disable plus infiltrate. I get to yep. cancel your PDS. I get to invade it and then I steal it from you. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's that's pretty wild. Uh, the second part of Brian the Bodacious's errata has to do with counters. Um, just talking about what action cards cancel other action cards out. Right. Um, obviously, anything is countered by sabotage. Um, right. The next one that I think is an interesting uh, is unexpected action plus signal jamming. Someone could use unexpected action and then get signal jammed, right. um, which I think would or be kind diplode. of that'd be kind of a wild situation because then it's like like they were able to use unexpected action and not get sabotaged, but then somebody right. was like going to use. Sig- I don't know. Anyways, it's weird, but it's you know it's just the edge case. Tactical bombardment uh, and lucky shot, which it's not really like a, a counter, right. but it's like a fun. Re- it's just a fun thing that would happen in a game. Like I have my dreadnought sitting above your planet. I tactically bombard it. Well, that was fun. Now I'm going to kill that dreadnought. I'm glad right. you got to do that. Right. Now I'm going to lucky. <laughs> or shot. if I get to lucky shot before you, if I know you have the tactical bombardment, then I lucky shot before you do it. And then lucky shot counters it. So. All right. And our last errata is from co-host of Space Cats, Peace Turtles, Hunter Donaldson. Hmm. Um, it's not really an errata. I didn't think he was allowed to submit. I thought. Yeah, no, I, 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 well, no, I'm actually submitting. Um, I wanted to talk about something in general that there was, uh, obviously we nailed it. Um, right. and we, we put, we put that out there a lot. There were still lots of people that disagreed with where we put certain action cards. Um, and they're we, wrong. But that's <laughs> fun. It was fun to play your little experiment. You know what? I'm actually going to let the joke go now and okay. just say that. Yeah, we just we we made we made a list. Uh, th- we shot from the hip a lot, and I would yeah. not take uh, any any differences that you might have with our list. Um, I would not take it too seriously unless right. it's like you think something we rated number forty five is actually number 
like yeah 10. here's like here's the, the one the one person i'm not letting off the hook is robofish who was like x card needs to be five spaces higher right These, this that's... card needs to be 10 spaces lower robofish go home right <laughs> you're right. done you're yeah. done <laughs> go home you're drunk um <laughs> uh but i wanted to talk about an idea that i i felt like people kept uh kind of talking around that i felt like we did not do a very good job of describing uh-huh. um sabotageability uh, what word. do we mean? I feel like people were getting a different idea of what we meant by that. Like some people would just be like, well, obviously any card can be sabotaged. The thing is, if you think about it though, there are some cards that there's only one player at the table that would be interested in sabotaging. And then there are some cards where literally every player besides right. you might have an interest in sabotaging. I'm going to pick a really easy example. Um, there were several people that thought that we rated unexpected action really low mm-hmm. and signal jamming very high. Right. Um, and I feel like sabotageability is the metric that caused them to have those this, two things to where fly. they are. Yeah. So, th- so the reason that we are saying that signal jamming is better, and I don't mean like worlds better. I think they were like 10 spaces apart. Uh, if yeah. even that might even be less than 10. Um, right. But the reason that we were ranking them that way is that when you play unexpected action, there are five players at the table that look at what you're doing and think to themselves, whoa, hey. What's he got going on What's going on there? (laughs) And so thus five people that really might think about like, huh, maybe I should sabotage that. When you use signal jamming on another player, likely what is going to happen is that if that player does not have a sabotage, they're going to try and buy one. And if they fail to buy it, then it goes through. So basically the only thing that's known is that there's probably one player you got to worry about having a sabotage. Otherwise it's likely to go through. And if it is like for the win, it's definitely going to go through because the rest of the table is going to let it happen. There's a similar dynamic between public disgrace being number one and political stability being, being number not two. number one. Uh, well, yeah. Was it number two or number three? I forget. Was I think it, number it was number two. Oh, number I don't two. remember. Well, well, so, clearly we cared about the list very right. much. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> um, regardless, the, the point of one being better than the other is that when you public disgrace someone, you do it for the table. You know what I mean? Right. You do it for the table. And, right. and that means Everybody's that... Everybody's in favor of right, it. Right, right. It's, uh, it's something that most of the players are not going to sabotage because they're probably in favor of you doing it. When you play political stability, you play it for yourself, which means that if it's important, uh, like there's... Everybody's going to anyone has a sabotage... Right. It's like what we were just talking about in uh, game 12 with Unaligned Magi. Every player had an interest in getting public disgrace and using it on him, and they found a way to do it. If everyone, they didn't even have it when they made the plan. You know what I mean? They were like, we should try and do that. Oh, nobody has it. But if the whole table is united in wanting a sabotage or wanting a specific Mm -hmm. card, the likelihood that that's going to happen is is huge. So I think a lot of cards that, a lot of times when people disagreed with our specific rankings i always felt like that was maybe the piece that was missing from our argument because what people i think what people defined it for and this is probably because we led them astray uh is it is not how badly do you want to sabotage a card that is not sabotageability we we probably phrased it wrong there are probably a few cards we defined as sabotageable because you want to sabotage it very badly yeah but that's not what the essence of sabotageability should be. It's not just we all want to sabotage public disgrace really badly. It's that everyone at the table is going to seek 
to sabotage public or political stability. Yeah. <laughs> so it makes political it makes political stability a worse card. Yes. Because more people are going to sabotage it, which mm-hmm. is what puts public disgrace ahead. Yeah. Less yeah. chances of it getting sabotaged. That's all I wanted to say. And then and then there are, there are lots of times when we brought up I don't know. I like I don't think we did this we didn't get the essence of this idea cleanly integrated into the episode. Yeah. Um per Perhaps it was that the Galactic Council wanted us to tackle a subject that was so large and vast <laughs> that we didn't know how to do it in even two episodes. Like right. you know what I mean? Like we we got the assignment it was handed a down two, to us. It was a two and a half hour long episode and then a three hour long episode. Right. And to we get didn't, action cards done. We didn't you know what? Here's the thing. This is such a good nugget to net to 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 land on. The only reason that we joked so hard about nailing it is because we knew for sure that we yeah. could not nail it. Yeah. That is impossible. Is, right. That is impossible. But so many of you believed, and I, I appreciate that immensely. That you I, that we nailed it. Yeah. Yeah. And you know what? Yeah. Joke back on. We nailed we it. We nailed it. <laughs> hey, you know what? Uh, that was a rare moment where I took the mask off and uh-huh. just got real with you. I just you sat. Real. I, you know what? I sat down <laughs> on the bed with each of the listeners and was just like, you know what? Papa just wants to be real honest with you for a minute. Um, the world is not exactly as it seems, uh, and not not everything is perfect, and not everybody gets what they deserve. And you know, I just kind of gave you that, and then we're already playing ball in the backyard. You know what I mean? Just enjoying. <laughs> we're having a nice day. We're gonna go see Spider Man Enter the Spider Verse later, <laughs> and I'm gonna buy you a big Coke because you earned it, buddy. Oh, Hunter, and you're an and maybe maybe we'll we'll your fit. personification of moments in time. Mm-hmm. Maybe uh, because we're we're kind of we're we're a crazy father father son father daughter father whatever duo. Um, we like to go to the movie theater and we'll go in the trash can <laughs> and we'll we'll find a discarded popcorn bin, a little a big no. and it's like all it had and it was popcorn. It's not a big deal. You fish that thing out there, you go get a free refill. That's daddy's secrets right there. That's daddy's secrets. <laughs> go oh, get yourself you can, a free refill of that popcorn. <laughs> you can go to Twitter and find us at Space Cats Pod. <laughs> We're on Facebook, Space Cats Peace Turtles. Find our posts every week at reddit.com slash r slash Twilight Imperium. We've got a board game geek guild that you can probably try to find. I don't know. Maybe RoboFish will show you the way. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have a Patreon. Uh, this tournament that we've been talking about is all a part of that Patreon. There's lots of other perks you can get, like making an episode or voting on episodes or helping us make our streams better. Um, If you want to be a part of the process, come join our Patreon. You can also join our Discord to get some of those Patreon benefits. And uh, there's also lots of fun conversation, and you can get a lot more errata on the show via Discord. I want to throw in a quick update uh, as far as uh, Patron stuff goes. We we have two Good Yen Brotherhood games booked. Um, yes. they're full. Uh, so they're I'm not, full. I'm not bringing this out to be like, Oh, you should join. Get in there. Uh, yeah. I just feel like we don't do a good enough job sometimes of saying Flooding like, Hey, by the way, <laughs> these tier things do happen. Right. Um, this one has been a hard one because of the tournament. And so we've been itching yeah, to find a weekend to, to the, get this. The tournament has been game. rough on basically everything else that the, the Pat Ron is for. I want right. to thank everybody for being patient with us. Yeah. Uh, we are trying to just, we're just trying to give you as much as we can give you. Um, and yeah, Good Yen Brotherhood games, uh, coming up. I'm really excited for everyone involved with those. It's going to be great. 
So while we're patting ourselves on the back, maybe you can do the same <laughs> thing by rating our podcast on iTunes or Apple Podcasts. And Hunter Donaldson, who are you? You're a uh, comedian, My name right? is Hunter Donaldson. I am a comedian uh, based out of Portland, Oregon. You can see me every single Thursday at 8 p.m. at Earthquake Hurricane. That happens at Ford Food and Drink. Um, I have not done a good job of typing up all of, the, of all of my dates. Well, that's one thing you can see. And I ain't got them. But, that, but yeah, fine. you can see me there all the time. Go for uh, it. I want to thank some space kitties. I want to thank Box, Jim Bob, Mac the Cartographer of Chaos, Frederick Durston, Patience is a Virtue, and Nathan Swenson. Patience is a Virtue uh, signed up to be a space kitty in the middle of us recording this episode. So I had to, I added that in the show oh, wow. while we were recording. Um, so, and that was to secure a spot in the tournament of which we have openings <laughs> this coming weekend. Oh, wow. wow. Uh, so that's fun. Thanks, Patience. Um, all right. Play of the week time. Here we go. Are you ready? I, I wanted to give this one a title, and I'm calling it a teachable moment. That's kind of weird. Yeah, that's weird. Well, that's not that's not how you're supposed to use that phrase. Yeah, I'm gonna moment. do it. Okay, a teachable. Go moment ahead, by Chris. You're, I'm gonna six okay, player. Go, 14, go ahead, you Portland boy. You, I am gonna six player fourteen point game playing as the Yin. It's the final round, and five of us are within range of fourteen points. Myself and my neighbor Extra are sitting at thirteen points. Nobody was expecting the round to even make it to the status phase before somebody won. My only shot is scoring an action phase secret objective that I've been holding on to for almost the entire game. Spark a rebellion when a combat against a player who has the most victory points. The easiest available spot for me to do that meant going into Extra's system with a fleet that would have to survive seven pds shots up front and battle a dreadnought a cruiser and a fighter i activate extra and they don't use nullification field i send in two dreadnoughts one fighter one cruiser and one destroyer extra rolls six pds hits i play one maneuvering jets to cancel one hit but i lose the fighter the cruiser the destroyer and i have to sustain both dreadnoughts using devotion is now off the table i'm losing hope after some back and forth rolls and me playing two, uh, they say sustained damages, they mean shields holdings to survive, it's down to both our single sustained damage dreadnoughts. We each roll, he misses, I hit, I've done it. I reveal the secret objective to claim victory. However, a few players expressed that I didn't win because both of us had 13 points, therefore neither of us had the most points. In all of our games, this had never come up. I protest. I need to see a rule or, or something in writing. After some web searches, we finally find it. Rule 87.5, if an ability refers to the player with the most or fewest victory points and more than one player is tied in that respect, the effect applies to all of the tied players. The yin win. The yin win. Congratulations on yeah, your yeah. victory. Congrats. Awesome. Surviving everything, including the bad rulings of multiple other players. Ooh, very good. Uh, th it was fun the way you said cruiser. How did I say it? Uh, I don't know what you did, honestly. I wish you. If you I could was just stumbling over a lot of those cruiser, words. Cruiser, 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 uh, cruiser. Yeah. Boy, howdy. Professional it's... podcast. Bum, 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 bum. Nailed it. Nailed it. Well, we won't do that anymore. That's done. Well, that 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 joke. The bit is the bit is over. Yeah, actually... We nailed the bit. I mean, we really nailed... Oh, my we God. Didn't that. we nail it when we it came it. to that bit about how we talked about how much we nailed it? But we, you know, we don't... We weren't really, because, I mean, how could you nail it? We definitely did nail it. Well, half, we nailed the bit. Half the internet telling us all week that we didn't nail it. Half the internet, Hunter? <laughs> <laughs> half the internet as far as I'm concerned, okay? <laughs> mm -hmm.
Thank you for listening to Space Cats Peace Turtles, and thanks to Ben Prunty for the use of his music. You can find more at benpruntymusic.com and benprunty.bandcamp.com. Pax Magnifica, Bellum Gloriosum.